Slice and Dice podcast number 13. We're starting to get into those numbers that I can't remember off the top of my head now. But that's good. Since since we've had the rebirth, now we were, once you hit 13, dude, now we're running. We've, we've, <laughs> we found the format that works for us. We've got some pretty good hammered out segments that we're sticking with. We, we just have a certain direction of going. Right. And we're not going to give another three-hour abortion like we did a couple couple podcasts back. Yeah, we got a little carried away with uh, with that one. You know, we got to keep these at two hours or less. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Well, the last one had great flow to it. So yeah, um, it's it's Thor weekend, and we will be discussing Thor: The Dark World ad nauseum towards the end of the podcast. Um, did you did you want to rant a little more about the old lady in the I, opera? Because you know, I feel like you don't have this completely off your chest. And and it's funny because so any uh, our three listeners, do I dare say maybe up to five by now? I don't know. I'll, I'll hedge our bets and say four okay. that we've gotten that far. Which that's a thirty three percent climb, so that's, that's pretty fucking good. That's, that's sizable. Okay. So. We've been ranting about the fact that the, the certain theater chain we go to, Cinemagic, we we respect Cinemagic, but they anger us. And the one particular theater we go to, they were stupid and they built a, a twin theater three miles away and killed their own business. So this one's the one that gets those stupid opera showings, mm. which will irritate the fuck out of you that with all the trailers they can show you, if you go see a movie at this one... Every time you get that one same Metropolitan Opera House trailer, but this isn't just a main thing. This is a this is a nationwide thing right. That they're the, showing, the, they're the, showing the thing right. It, this is a nationwide release, but they've just given it to this one. Santa Magic has chosen this one theater yeah. as being the one that's going to pimp them. But in, because of it, you lose one trailer typically for any movie you go to yeah. because you're going to get the same goddamn Metropolitan Opera House thing. Well, after you get the MovieTickets.com commercial, right. the Coca-Cola right. commercial. Because God knows, uh, you know, Claudia with a cha- Chance of Meatballs 2 hasn't outlived its usefulness yet. We're still getting that MovieTickets.com thing. So, I pulled into the parking lot yesterday with uh, my wife and two nieces, and my wife and one of the nieces made us way behind schedule, and we're now 10 minutes from the movie showing, and the parking lot lot is packed. And again, I reiterate, this is a theater that's normally dead. So seeing it packed instantly made me shit myself. We go inside, I go around to the counter, it's the manager chick who, who knows the ninjas, she recognizes us when we're there. And I say, yeah, I'm here for Thor. And I said, and apparently it's pretty busy. She said, yeah, it's busy, but not as busy as the opera. Which shocked me because I'd always assume these things did middling business. Well, they have to do something or they wouldn't be having them. So I'm floored. I didn't give my wife the money for snacks and sodas and stuff so we could then just get in. And so I go over to wait with her after I get our tickets. And this one old lady comes out. Ranting at the other manager, the male manager, the the mm. big dude with the glasses, yeah. who, and, and her comment was that she was all pissed because they sold too many tickets, and by too many tickets, they weren't sold out. But she had to sit in the first three rows. They can and, only sell as many seats as they have. Right, and she thought she ought to call the fire department. Because she was being inconvenienced by having to sit that close. So instead of old bitch realizing next time I need to leave earlier and get there earlier. Right. 
it's the theater's fault. And in the manager's defense, he was quick to point out that they're inspected by the fire department for X number of seats per screen. And that number of seats is what's on the record, the one that's in that current theater, so they can sell every single one of those tickets. Yeah, we, we don't we don't pull out seats and hide them right. when the fire department <laughs> comes over. We're not popping them up. We're not, <laughs> yeah. and, and she literally said, so you mean I could have to sit in the front row? The, guess the definition of the fact that it's a row is what's confusing her. Right. That there are seats there. No, you're right. Those are there for looks. Right. It behooves the theater to have extra seats that you can't use. Right. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Those are the seats that the Mystery Science Theater guys pop yeah. up in. Yeah. Crow T Robot is going to pop up at some point with Tom Servo next to him. And next to him are going to be the Muppets. The Muppets right. are going to roll out and there yeah. you go. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. I really, and I, I love when people are patient. Because I, I, I would not have been with this person. I was getting ugly, and I, I literally looked at the manager after and said, what, is she too fucking stupid to get how many seats that you can possibly sell? And just kind of chuckled and let her walk off. Yeah. I What the hell? I was so fucking angry. Of course, Everything is everybody else's fault. It, it, Everything in this world today that's wrong with this world is everybody else's fault. There's no fucking accountability, and it just pisses me off. And let's be honest, the ninjas, if we went to something we didn't think would sell that well, we went in and we went, holy fuck, all that's us the front seats. We'd at least, we'd give credit for thinking, holy shit, apparently this movie's doing well. Good, especially if it's something we've been backing. And clearly, I didn't think the opera was that popular at these things. Well, apparently they are. They had this big fucking display out in front of the entrance yeah. of the theater. I was shocked. Yeah. Color me shocked, but color me more sh- uh, I don't think shocked there's anybody under woman. the age of 60 going. Oh, God. And, and this was just nasty, cranky old lady anyway. You know how it was just angry about the world. Right. Angry she hadn't angry been late in 40 be, years. Angry, <laughs> angry she's going to be... Dead in like four weeks. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and angry that 12 years a slave, she remembers that actually happening in real life. <laughs> she so. remembers when she used to own slaves. Right. So. And, and, and still angry that they overturned that law. Right. So, yeah, okay. There, I'm really you feel better now? I, that you was, got that off your chest? Yeah, that was a little... Little but, cleansing, but as close as you had to, uh, as you had to Showtime. Where did you did you get decent seats in Thor? We got second to last row, but the final four seats of the row, and I got the final seat. My wife took because there were people that were in five and six seats in. Mm-hmm. My wife took the furthest one in. When she chose that row, I said I had to take a piss bad, so I said, "Give me something close to the end of a row." Because I ain't going to plop down and then immediately get up and walk in front of these people. Yeah. She said, what about there? Fine. She took that, that seat close to those people. No problem. Yeah. We had decent seats. It was perfect. I, I had no issue with it. Cool. All right. So a uh, little bit of news to, to kick things off here. Um, basically, the rumor that won't go away, uh, Ghostbusters 3... Again, is rearing its ugly head, and the latest is that they're actually in the process of casting a couple of people, and site selection is underway, and they could be shooting in Cleveland as early as next spring. Why Cleveland? Uh, well, Cleveland actually, 
Cleveland actually served uh, as the city in the Avengers. Right. Well, I was going to say, uh, what is it about Cleveland that all of a sudden works for these things? I and that I, I realize maybe, maybe, they, maybe Ohio has better tax brackets. For it it could be. It could be that they're willing to accommodate the, it's the studios a lot better. Cheaper than actually going to New York to yeah. do this stuff. And maybe that's what it is. I, I mean, even go back to the classic Howard the Duck took place in Cleveland. Yeah. So I mean, I I don't know. It, it's fascinating, though, because, yeah, this movie's been bouncing around for how many years now? Well, you know, every every rumor always has to open up the Bill Murray debate again. Yeah, Bill Murray we, isn't going to do it. Bill Murray... Whatever, I'm, fuck him. I'm sick of Bill Murray in this in this question. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, I, I understand why. But at some point, Aykroyd and Ramis have just got to say, fuck Bill Murray. Right. Okay. Did, was Bill Murray the best part of the original Ghostbusters? Probably. Yeah. Debatably. Sure. Certainly the first one. Uh, he had the lines. Yeah. And, but that was the way it was written, though. He was supposed to be the comic person. But if, if you really want to take a shot at Bill Murray, then just shut up about it. Make your movie without him. Right. I, I don't... I, at this point, he's being such a dick about it. I wouldn't even have an issue if then they had some little bit about how, why he disappeared. Uh, or, or, I don't know, have him die of some horrific, stupid accident. You can write him out. Sure. I, and I know there are people that, that would question me using this. Whether or not you like Michael Bay, the way they handled Megan Fox's disappearance from Transformers is almost funny. Yeah. That, oh, I mean, right down them calling her just an annoying bitch that once once she got in there, she was just a full-on bitch to deal with, and they right. called her that in the movies. Yeah. You can work around this. What kills me is I don't know what Bill Murray thinks he's avoiding here. Well, Bill Murray, Bill, Bill Murray fancies himself as a, an artist. Yeah, he, he, Bill Murray at some point in his own mind, has outgrown the Stripes slash Ghostbusters version of Bill Murray. And now Bill Murray is just this eccentric uh, thespian that's only in these certain movies. You know, dude, just get the fuck over yourself, please. And you know what? We want to see Caddyshack, Stripes, and Ghostbusters. Which I'm going to say he hasn't done some other good stuff. Certainly, some great stuff. Certainly in the 90s. Certainly he's been in some other movies that are more recent. He's been great in Lost in Translation. Yep. He's been great in some of the uh, Wes Anderson films. Well, well, I was going to say, uh, thank you. He was in Moonrise Kingdom. He was fine. However, not necessarily things other people couldn't have done. It's just that he's got that quirk. And in Zombieland, he was the great killer cameo in Zombieland. No pun intended. Right. But I don't get why he's so full of himself here, but whatever. Move on. The question is is whether or not doing this movie is even a good idea. Well, I don't think it's a good idea any more than doing any of these other sequels is a good idea. No. And and if you see what Dan Aykroyd's done as of late, some of it's pretty Uh, sketchy. He's got fat. He's gotten fat. His last thing I know that he did is his own project. That wasn't, I want to say he did a documentary. But before that, it was that brutal nothing, was it nothing in common or nothing but trouble? Yeah, nothing yeah. but trouble from like 98 with Demi Moore. Was it Chevy Chase ending up in some East bumfuck town with some judge and cop with a... With Chevy Chase. So Dan Aykroyd has quite the history with working with people who think they're just way more important. Way, than really seriously. Because Chevy Chase is another one. Um, yeah, I, I think if, if these guys quit courting Bill Murray, and quite frankly, 
write yourselves out too. Just make a new fucking Ghostbusters. Make a whole different story. You don't even have to call it Ghostbusters. Wasn't the original plan that that came around years ago that this is going to be a transitional Ghostbusters? Yes. They'd all but hired four people that were going to be the new Ghostbusters. Mm. The old people are going to be in it, basically training them to be their own franchise. Right. And it was going to be this would be the crossover. Yep. This was going to be the Star Trek Generations movie, yep. where the keys were handed over to the new group. Right. And that would have been fine. I could have lived with that. Right. In the early casting, I had like Eliza Dushku, I want to, I want to say, was one of them. Now, and, apparently, uh, we're talking with Jonah Hill. We're talking with Emma Stone. Eh. Fine. It, whatever. Just give us something new. No, I, see, I just don't think they have it. I think they... I, this sounds like more and more just like, uh, you know... Right pickings for a cash grab. Right. I, I don't have any faith that this movie is going to be good, even if it does come out. And, and uh, our few avid listeners, though, understand that only we, two of the four are avid. The other two just stumbled across. Yeah, and, and, and that's we just <laughs> hope to gain one of those every now and then. Right. Understand that our, our enjoyment of the idea of a new Bill and Ted is because there could be something else you could do with that kind of story. Mm-hmm. There was something there, and I don't think people got how good Bogus Journey really was. Bogus Journey was a great movie. It's just people didn't give it the damn chance. And I think you could revisit them 25 years later and have a funny story. Right. But again, you're talking a movie that was based on time traveling anyway. Right. Ghostbusters is was it, it, what it is. It's a bunch of people catching ghosts. And whether or not that's going to work, you don't know. And also it's acknowledging the fact that a lot of the people here are comedians from 30 years ago. And whether or not their idea of comedy... And again, Ghostbusters, when I saw it, dude, in 85, probably the funniest fucking movie I'd seen in my life up to that point. I remember all but crying laughing about it. I don't know how that kind of humor is going to play out now, though. Yeah. And Ernie Hudson needs work. Yeah, well, he's at Super Mega Fest, isn't he? Well, uh, he always signs up for this stuff and then never shows up to them. I mean, I guess, honestly, how much love can you get out of being the black Ghostbuster? Because that's what he'll always be known as. Uh, it's true. <coughs> yeah. You alright? <coughs> yeah, swallowed wrong. Take it to the next one there, while I try to attend to myself. Alright. So, wow, actually, when you forwarded this to me, I had not heard this. And that apparently uh, Marvel is continuing with the next stages of the rollout and working with Netflix and trying to build some uh, original programming that will involve other characters, most notably Daredevil, who people have always felt should be given. That would be the biggest. But basically, it's all. Building up towards a Defenders. Yes. So you've got the Avengers on the big screen. They're working towards doing a Defenders series on the small screen with Netflix as their uh, medium. Yeah, I think this makes a whole lot more sense from uh, uh, fiscally for... It makes perfect sense. It certainly makes good fiscal sense for Netflix. And I think it makes much more sense for uh, Marvel Studios. Mm-hmm. And now that they don't have to finance... The huge dollars that it would take to put characters that, quite frankly, would be risky to throw onto mixing. Maybe not so much Daredevil. Daredevil is fairly well known. He, you, you could make an argument that Daredevil is 
on equal footing as the Iron Man's and Thor's were prior to this whole thing. Yeah, it, it, there, there, there's a pocket of people that like but, Daredevil. But Luke Cage, these, uh, Jessica Jones, dude, Iron Fist, all these characters. I was reading these going, I've heard the names, and that's about yeah, it. I, I don't know much about the histories of this other than Daredevil. Um, I don't even know much about Luke Cage other than he has like this impenetrable skin and he's rock. Um, real super strong, mm-hmm. and he's a black guy. He's like one of the only African American heroes in the comics world. <clears throat> um, They've been Black Panther. Black up. Panther, yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's it's it just makes sense financially from both aspects. And what I do like about this too, if you stick this on Netflix. You are not beholden to any specific rating on your content. And you could argue that's what's been the most damaging thing for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to meet ABC. (laughs) Acknowledging they're all the same company, but still, I get Disney only allowing ABC a certain amount of leeway here. Well, but the question still remains, will Disney allow even Netflix (sighs) to do that? Because there's still, it's still their property. It is, and I don't know, and... I'd like to think they will, or at least let's get to PG-13 level again. I could live with that. And, and because I don't know enough about these characters to know what kind of story arcs they have. Are they the normal PG story arcs of comics, or do they, they go more towards what you'd find in an image or something like that that can be pushing the R? I don't even so much blame Disney so much with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as much. And I know this is all, it's technically all Disney, but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. feels like an, a, a mainstream network show. It yeah. feels like an ABC show. Yeah. You know, it, because you can get away with a lot more than you're actually given this there. You can just look over on FX or AMC and oh, see God, they, that they, you are they, not even pushing the envelope yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the gore alone from Walking Dead probably would would be R-rated compared to what you'd find on uh, ABC or NBC or whatever. No question. Um, I I think this is great. I I would love to see them do it. I guess they're going to start with like a 13-episode arc on Daredevil. And that's the way I understood it. It's going to be a bunch of 13-episode arcs building up towards a Defenders, right? Uh, yeah. With that being the end game. Long term, yeah. And so basically you're looking at almost the same layout as the way the Avengers played off, except you're probably looking at one a year or two a year of these series building towards the Defenders. Again, to me, it's a brilliant idea. And I love the fact that Netflix is a player this way because it, to me, is amazing. And we, we certainly, in our earlier iteration... Trash Netflix, understandably so. But talk about something that's had this total fucking rebirth. They were they, that company wasn't worth a shit a year and a half ago, and well, they, they built they themselves up again. They definitely made some missteps and, and pissed off a lot of the uh, the fan base. But in that same regard, they they sort of you know they did do that, but. Was it really going to hurt them long term? Because clearly mm. Netflix was was definitely the wave of the future. They were the first in on the the monthly streaming yeah. services, and and as a re- and by also doing movies as well as TV, it gives them a little more flexibility that way. It was more the way they went about the split, and then was it the Quickster? Was that what they were going to call the uh, the video yeah, service? That was, that was stupid. 
Don't don't try to rename what you've already got. People right. don't know what it means. But their original programming has been fantastic. And yeah, if, for the most part it has at this point. If Marvel really wants to throw some good support behind it, that's a great medium for it. Because, honestly, you'd be hard-pressed to find too many households without Netflix. At this point. So, it, and it makes perfect sense. And they're about to gain sense. more. Which is a nice segue into our next topic. They're about to oh, get yes. more, because anybody who has Blockbuster streaming service isn't going to have Blockbuster streaming service for uh, maybe another two months, and then they're done. That's um, crazy. Uh, because it's official, and this has been brewing for two years now. You knew, you knew the end was nigh, um, but Blockbuster Incorporated has finally announced that they're shutting down the remaining 300 or so retail stores that they have left and they're going to shut down their their disc by mail service Um, uh, this has been a long time coming it's kind of sad well Blockbuster in their heyday really kind of did it right because on a Friday night they had the guarantee that the new releases they would guarantee they had and if they didn't you get a free movie from the other racks Fine, that was the way to go about it. Because every mom and pop store rented movies, and we all had that little store we knew. But when it came to the new releases on a Friday night, you were fucked. You just, unless you were there when they opened, you weren't getting them. And quite often... In the days of Blockbuster, you were fucked. Right. Well, luckily, we were... uh, I know what they were like when they landed here. They'd already been very well developed, and they had the whole thing of 50 copies of the new stuff, and... Mm -hmm. But there was nothing like going through that kind of store. And, right. and Blockbuster set themselves upright with all the new releases, releases flat against the walls. So you could actually read the box and, mm-hmm. and know what you were getting. It was the way to go. Yeah. But. But their time has come. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's sad because I used to like going to that, to the video stores and stuff. I mean, it, it isn't so, it isn't as. I don't know, uh, nostalgic as, as for me as, like, uh, I think music and movies from uh, from a buying perspective and stuff like that. Uh. Um, I, I don't have a problem renting my stuff through Redbox and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, again, Blockbuster is one of those ones where you didn't have to wait a month to see the new release like you do through Redbox or something. I think Redbox needs to work something out on that one. That, that to I me is problematic. I don't think it's Redboxes. I think it's, I think it's the distributors. Studios. Right. They, they want you to buy the movie. Right. And they're willing to bank on, uh, by restricting Redbox and these other, these other services, holding them back for four to six weeks. They're banking on that you want to see this movie bad enough that you'll just go buy it instead. Which there are people out there, this, not this well, guy. The, no, not this guy at all. If I if I didn't see it in the theater, again, there's two things at play here. Either I saw it in the theater, so I I don't have to just go out and buy it. Or I, if I didn't see it in the theater, it probably wasn't important enough for me to go see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I can wait another month. Right. All this does to me is means mentally they push the release date. And it's being yeah. released a month later. Yeah. That's all it does for yeah. me. I, I don't care. I don't like it, but it, it just means that when I'm seeing these lists with DVD releases, I don't think it means anything. Right. When's Redbox getting the damn movie? Right. Um, I mean, now the, the VOD services and stuff like that will have it, but and you, you pay $4 there. A, a bit of a premium. But. Um, and, and that's not too bad. 
But there's no way I'm going out and spending $20 on a movie that's going to be in Redbox in six weeks. Oh, hell no. Not just because I don't want to wait the six weeks. Or I already know what movies I want in my collection ahead of time. And I may go buy a movie, but it has nothing to do with the fact that I can't get it at Redbox. Right. Um, Still, though, you you do make an interesting reference. Because I've gone kicking and screaming away from having copies of CDs and the booklets. The streaming, though, to me, is nice for movies. Now See, that I like my movie collection like you like your music collection. Right. And, and that's the difference. I, I've got to have the CD. Got to have the book. If streaming a CD case is cracked, me, it gets replaced. Streaming a movie doesn't give me extras. Doesn't give me behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. stuff and blooper reels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which is the reason that... A lot of the reason that I'll buy a movie is for that type of stuff. Um, yeah, I... It, it's it's just 2013. It, everything is moving towards that. Even books and stuff. And then, and that said, the local business in Maine that services people in regards to movies and music and books and stuff like that is expanding. They're throwing shit. Oh, they, they, of money. yeah, and, and they're doing it right. Well, they're making you feel like the transition isn't quite as tough, at least. Well, it, but you got to wonder how. They're surviving to the point that they're investing to that level. Let's be blunt. A lot of the way they're surviving is because they're promoting themselves to a target audience that you and I aren't part of. Because they promote themselves to the hipster group who, as a result, will latch on thinking that it's the cool thing to do. Well, I I love going to Bulmos. So do I. But they certainly promote themselves as a hipster, a total hipster company. Sure. And, and... Hipsters, as a result, are rolling out in droves to support them. And unfortunately, this means I've got to say good for the hipsters because that means something for us. Right. Um, But they, I mean, they do it right. They get, they give a good selection of about anything. I mean, they've got a good, what, five or six standalone chains in the state. Easy. Um, Well, there's two here in South Portland or Scarborough, South Portland. There's Bangor, there's Mm -hmm. Waterville. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. I think there's even one in Wyndham. Um, there is, and they're they're expanding all the time. Mm-hmm. They brought in books, and you know, granted, they're they're also absorbing some of the big boxes that have shut down. You know, the the borders that shuts down uh, the um, the other big one, Barnes and Noble. I yep. don't, I'm not even sure we have any more of those around. Um, mm-hmm. Books a million. Somehow they're still going, but I, they're no different than borders, and I just don't understand to, how. Yeah, they're. Two sides of the same coin. You, you got to figure that they're on shaky footing and uh, Best Buy. And aside of the fact that you know that part of the reason is you're getting jacked at these other places. You go and look for a new release in, in a Books a Million or a Best Buy, and a, a new release Blu-ray is is thirty dollars. Yeah, it's, it's when I can bullshit. go to Full Moose and it's nineteen dollars. Right. So Absolute bullshit. You're jacking people, and I'm never going to buy shit from you. Somehow people are paying that, though, and I don't get it. Are they, though? Not enough. Not enough to keep them going. But there were people that were doing it that were just flat out lazy and figured they well, were Well, that's there. just it. You, you, you're lazy, and or you can just afford that price, and you don't care. But, let, you know, actually, I'll say this. I'll bet the vast majority of people that were paying that price at a Borders or Books of... Or not Books of Million, or, or Barnes & Noble... Probably were sixty years old or beyond, which yeah. are also the same people you don't see that often in a bull moose. Right. 
because they're not playing the kind of music. They don't promote no. the kind of music. There's there, there is a classical section, but it's probably the smallest section of the entire store. Right. It's so just the, not you, them. You do get. Um, you do get a segment of older people that oh. will go into Bull Moose, but those are people who have been around for a while. They know what they're going in and getting stuff. Right. You're not getting the old lady bitching about the seating at the opera thing going exactly. into Bull Moose. You're not getting the person that wants their 30-second copy of this Tchaikovsky. Right. Song. Right. That's it's, just a bunch of dirty punk kids in there that are playing their hippity-hop music. Mm-hmm. And we don't want that. Yeah, fuck you. Um, but, yeah, whatever. You know, Blockbuster Video, all the other smaller video places have already shut down. And, and the way I look at it now, from, from a rental perspective, in Maine, or at least in our section of Maine, I don't think we have any option other than Redbox at this point. Other than Netflix through the mail. You, well, or Amazon Instant Streaming. Is that a rental? Yes. It is. I, well, I, well, I literally me, did it last night. Well, it cost me, me five me, bucks for a week. Let me rephrase that. But to a, go and get a to CD. To go and get a disc. To sit the old days where you, you flip through an inventory and figure out what was there and select, Redbox is it. Yeah, you may, in, in some little tiny bumfuck town, you may find there's some video store hanging on. But other than that, that's it. Yeah. That you just Your options aren't there anymore. Well, kind of sad. It is. So, here's a question. God forbid. Never happened. But let's just say, hypothetically, you wake up in the middle of the night, house is filled with smoke, house is on fire. What's the first thing you're going to go save? My dog. Over your wife. (laughs) I stand by my decision. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Let's just just say that, that typically... Most people would 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 make sure that anything in the house that's living right makes it out of the house. Your pets are your family, or yes. your pets and your family. Yes. Whatever angle you take, that's going to be what you're going to take. Right. And then you'll get the person saying they're photographs because their photographs are their memories. That's sure. another one you hear a lot. Sure. Now with digital, that's kind of changed things a bit. Yeah. But old people that still have the old, you'll hear photographs brought up a oh, lot. Oh, yeah. Wedding albums yep. uh, and things like that. Uh, or maybe maybe a, uh, maybe a you have a uh, lockbox or a strongbox with uh, important papers yep. and documents and things like that. Those are the things you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I suppose depending on the severity of the situation you're facing probably dictates to most people... A lot of worry. Fuck it, we got to get the hell out, regardless. Mm-hmm. At this point, I mean, if you're at the point here where you're you're so engulfed, you know, at that point, you even can't even. You might not even be able to find the damn pets if it's if it's at that certain point. If, if you, you know pets that my wife, well, I'm finding hope, my dog. Well, yeah, well, you would hope the dog is smart enough to wake up and you and know my dog. He's be, not. Uh, my right. wife's on her own. <laughs> <laughs> Save the dog. Um, well, there's this dude, and I, I want to say he was in Georgia. Atlanta? It sounds it's one of the southern states. I'm ninety percent certain of Georgia. Um, now, to this guy's credit, he did make sure that the family was out. Uh, I don't know if there were any pets involved, but the, but no, the family, he took care of the fam. So the family was out, and he determined that the most important thing that he needed to risk his life to go back into the house for. Was his beer. 
And a lot of it. A lot of beer. Now this is, you know, this is, you know, southern rednecky guy. Probably only has a few teeth. So you know that not only is he going back in for his beer, he's probably going back in for some like old Milwaukee right. lunch. He's, <laughs> he's grabbing the cardboard yeah. thirty pack out it's of the fridge. Like, yeah, he doesn't have a kegerator in there with a with a hundred and fifty dollar keg of uh, of the local microbrew. Dude's probably got, got a case of Natty Light sitting there. But the God love his fucking conviction on oh, this absolutely. one, though. Way to commit to your alcoholism. Exactly. And he admits, I'm an alcoholic and I needed to get my beer. <laughs> I don't know that I'm... Again, we're forced with a situation here where we don't really know the severity of his situation. I don't know, maybe it wasn't as risky as it sounds, but it sounds to me, just reading the story, that there was that, that there was a certain element of risk involved at this point for the guy to go back in and grab his beer. The way I see it is, if my house is burned to the ground, though, I, I, I applaud this guy because I'd probably want nothing more than at that point than to have a drink and just go, what the fuck do I do now? Now, I probably wouldn't go for the beer. I'd probably go for harder stuff than right. that. Well, and, and, and there's that. I mean, unfortunately, at my house, beer doesn't last long enough for me to have to go back <laughs> in and get it. So I probably have to run over to 7-Eleven and, and just get some beer and then come Damn back. Damn it! We got the fire tonight and I just <laughs> killed mine off. Yeah. And just sit outside and watch the, uh, the, the, the house burn to the ground. Um, I don't know. Idiot or hero? <laughs> wow. You know, I would say in this case, probably idiot because you're right. It's probably one of those that's absolute swill. That you could buy yep. for ten bucks for a twelve pack, well, to, or, or for a thirty pack. thirty pack. <laughs> we're not talking the fact no. that he had like some example. We're not talking that he'd been sitting on some spring version of Sam Adams, and right. here we are December, and he'd been nursing that shit. Right. He, no, you know it's Natty Light or something, which he could have just replaced. This is just him facing his alcoholism and losing, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> It's to be respected, and I get it. Right. And certainly if I'd been doing my own craft beer, I'd probably want to... But I'd also be the first to say that if this guy had died in this in this effort, oh. I'd have been like, eh. Yeah, right. <laughs> what well, a dumbass. What's the loss at <laughs> yeah. that point? Yeah, there's... Chance <laughs> out we didn't lose a uh, future nuclear no. engineer. We no. probably didn't lose a brain Damn, surgeon. There's the guy who was going to cure cancer. Oh, no. oh wow. No, no. My <laughs> guess is we lost the guy who's on the truck that picks up the roadkill on it's the like, highway. Well, not another family can, can get some food stamps. Too. Right. So, you know, hey, but good for him. At least he stood by his alcoholism and right <laughs> took on. care of it that night. Right on. All right. We'll come back in a second. With After our, we get fresh beer. Well, yeah, we'll talk about our, we got the douche of the week this we week. We do. Oh, it's a doozy of a douche. It is. Weirdo. Sucker of big brown dirty eggs. Idiot. Liquor of salmon fried fish. Moron. Raider of the lost fart. Rump roast. Liquor of dirty chicken butts. Buttfish. Soiler of towels. Listen, you insignificant square toed pimple headed spies. You! You foul loads of them evil little cockroaches! You scum sucking pig. Now let's see if you can defend yourself, you sweat from a baboon's balls. You're in big trouble, though, pal. I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> you eat pieces of shit for breakfast? No. You're always the stupid idiot. You take lessons. I took lessons. 
100,000 sperm and uh, you were the fastest. <laughs> you are the kind of club-toting, raw meat-eating, meat-tarzan, you-janing, big ball bubblehead that can only count to ten if he's barefoot or wearing sandals. Alright. So, this one's got me riled up. Riled up nothing. I've been ranting at anybody who's wanted to hear about this. Um, and maybe it's because I know I'd be the target. Well, it's not, but it's it, not even it's, that. <clears throat> what, we're, what we're talking about, there's, uh, there's this cunt. Yeah. And I don't throw around the term. No, this, this is a cunt. Yeah, this is a cunt. Yeah. Who lives in uh, West Fargo, um, who determined to take it upon herself on Halloween night to take on the challenge of childhood obesity. Mm-hmm. And as kids would come to her door for trick-or-treating, she would eyeball them and determine in her mind whether a kid was too fat for candy. Mm -hmm. And if you weren't, you got candy. If you were, you got a note. And let me... Oh, you got the copy of the note? Uh, I have it here. The note would say... Happy Halloween and happy holidays, neighbor. You are probably wondering why your child has this note. Have you ever heard the saying, it takes a village to raise a child? I am disappointed in the village of Fargo, Moorhead, West Fargo, wherever the fuck that is. Your child is, in my opinion, moderately obese and should not be consuming sugar and treats to the extent of some children this Halloween season. My hope is that you will step up as a parent... And ration candy this Halloween and not allow your child to continue these unhealthy eating habits. Thank you. I am if angry I knew, just hearing that if again. If I knew who dropped that into my kid's bucket, they would be consuming that note. Oh. Because I would go in and kick their fucking teeth in. There wouldn't be consumption. It would be who a rectal thing. That would become the biggest suppository they've ever done. Exactly. And that's just it. This is a person who's taking upon themselves to correct you through your kid. Yes. Through the and you know what doesn't help an over an overweight kid being totally telling them they're overweight. There's certain days you allow things to float. Certain rules no. I get. No. You you gotta watch your weight on certain things. You don't fuck with people on Halloween. You don't fuck with them on Thanksgiving. You don't fuck. You don't with fuck with period. somebody else's kids. Period. Right. It's none of your damn business what some other dude is putting in their kid's mouth. It's none of your damn business. I hope to God her house got trashed on Halloween. Well, I don't know that anybody even knows who this woman is. Oh, I, she was out in the, uh, in the national she, media. She made statements. They actually were inter- interviewing our national media. Because uh, the, the, so. the article I read um, didn't, didn't state who she was. Yeah, no. She, she, she was willing to come out to the national media. I'd like about to know it. if anything happened. And she still took the whole high road. It's like, fuck you. There's a reason the national media is taking this up. Because you are a cunt. And people know yes. it. This is, this is insulting people at a level that you don't have the right to do. You, it's way overstepping you don't have what anybody right. should you, do. You have no right to do that. It, it, does this nation have a, a childhood obesity problem? Absolutely. It's, it's got an adult obesity problem. Well, sure. Um, hey, that, that hurts. <laughs> 
<laughs> but again, you and I have jumped okay, on the fact that it'd be funny what time we ever did the Abercrombie and Fitch. Let's whip off our shots and go in, shirts and go in and pull the model thing and see how long we last. I think it was thirty seconds. But. Right? Yeah. Okay. It doesn't really hurt. Give me another beer. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah, pass me the beef jerky. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. You know what? It is. There's a couple things you could have done here if if that's what concerns you. Hand out healthy snacks. That's my first. Be that one to hand out the box of raisins or something. You know you're going to end up getting them all over your yard. Or close your damn door. And just don't hand anything out. out, And don't hand anything out. Well, that's what really drives me crazy is. So are you saying candy is good or bad? If you're saying it's right. bad, then it should be bad even for the people She's that are watching it's only their bad way. for fat kids. She's she is making an assumption that that if the kid is and first of all, who is she and I, I'm an expert on what the, the ideal weight of a kid is? Mm-hmm. You know, as long as Engelbert isn't walking up to your door, if the kid's a little chunky, who, maybe he's got a freaking medical issue. You don't know. Mm-hmm. This is nothing more than bullying. Yep. And you know what? That's a as big of a fucking problem in this country right now than childhood obesity, but you seem to want to just pick and choose what you think is problematic in the yeah. country. You know what? Go feed your own fucking kid their vegan, gluten-free diet and, and whatever, and stick your nose up with the rest of the world. Just shut the fuck up and go inside and, and just don't even deal with it. This chick... Is a cunt. Oh, it, I was so order. angry the first time I heard it. I get angry every time I read it, and and I fully acknowledge well, that I'd be somebody she would give the little note to. But it doesn't matter. It, I'd be about the time that door my down if my kid, kid brought that, that home. Came from I would not. I would be shit. so fucking oh, living. Yeah. That she'd, person's she'd life is forfeit. It. Yeah, she'd have heard about it. And time. you don't, you don't fuck with somebody's kids. You you just don't. And yeah, okay, is there no childhood obesity problem? Yes. Not this ain't going to change it. Not your problem. It's no, not, no, not, not going to change it. It's not your problem. Not your kid. Right. Your problem is your kid. And to take it one step further, so what you're telling me is that one piece of candy they didn't get from your house is going to make the difference. Right. That note. Right. That note's what saved him. Fuck you. Right. Bullshit. Halloween's still Halloween. You know what I'm giving your kid when he comes to my house? A fucking cheeseburger. Exactly. Next Halloween, it's a hair. And, then, and a note that says, you need a little meat on your bones. Here's a cheeseburger. And the, the latest <laughs> penthouse spread saying, see that body part? That's what your mom is. <laughs> oh, Just nice. pointing it out. Yep. God. So I don't know what the hell her name is, but West Fargo Halloween cunt. You are the Ninja Juice of the, of the week. week. We'll be back in a minute after we settle down, get some freshies, and uh, have some jerky. Maybe we'll throw some kittens into a wood chipper just to make <laughs> we ourselves could. feel better. <laughs> Talk a little what we watched. Come on, Nanny. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the stars. <laughs> Cowboy heroes, cops and robbers, glamour and strife, bigger than life. Sitting in the darkness, what a world to see. Let's go to the movies anyway and see. Probably should apologize right up front here for the fact that we're chewing on beef jerky as we. Uh... <laughs>
We're still so angry about that check. Yeah. Where... Makes me want to eat beef jerky. Right. And now I'm going to open the bottles of beer. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, we, uh, we watched some flicks. Do you want to uh, testify? Right, you know, while we still have Velvet Head in here? I, I will, because we, we don't want to go much longer because we could lose him at that point. Right. So my honor had been called to a certain extent because I'd own the fact that as a creature of the 80s, I'd never watched uh, Roadhouse Roadhouse from beginning to end. And obviously I got the references. I I knew what Peter Griffin was referencing. Well, of course, he's just saying Roadhouse. Mm -hmm. So with Velvet Head having questioned whether or not I had the honor or right to be doing this, I sat and watched Roadhouse last night and was pleasantly surprised at how good a bad movie that was. Huh. It, it was a waste of your time. It was a cheese-tastic jiggle fest mm-hmm. with throats being ripped out. It was a lot of fun. I, I know I'd seen the whole movie, just never point for point to point. It was definitely coming in here, there. Somehow I never sat down to watch it, so I now have watched Roadhouse... I met my obligation. You're a better I'm a man better for person it for it. Right. I now know how to handle myself in a bar, bar brawl. There's one fat dude in there I still think is Will Sasso before he lost his hair. One of the bouncers looks exactly like Will Sasso, but with an almost oh, like right, a right, right, right. Yep, yep. <laughs> But what a great movie. And, and again, if I was a teenage boy watching that movie, the amount of naked boobs in that movie, I would have been one happy Even kid. if you're a teenage girl, there's plenty of beefcake. Oh my God, too. the whole way through it. But then there's Sam Elliott, which I, <laughs> I, I don't yes. get what's, what's up with that. Sam Elliott uh, is the anti-beefcake. He's, he is at his greasiest and dirtiest in Oh, it's movie. horrible. Yeah. And... Nobody drinks a good beer in that movie. Well, it's Roadhouse. I, well, no, it's Roadhouse. Right. <laughs> but um, what a great movie. I, I That was just a lot of fun. So, so yeah, I found myself at one this morning streaming Roadhouse on Netflix and loved me the fuck out of that movie. So, that was great. So, Velvet Head can now sleep He can. He can, and, and he can't question whether or not I have the right to be on this podcast. I have now seen a, a 1980s iconic film. You've read I've seen wrong. Roadhouse. A, a great misdeed. I'd seen Cobra at the drive-in. I've now seen the, Roadhouse. The cosmos have realigned. Exactly. So, we have watched some other films. We have. Um, do you want to flip a coin to see who goes first here? Does that make any difference to me? Well... I'll start. Good. A couple weeks ago, CNN aired uh, Blackfish, and I caught it, and that's the film about the the orcas and SeaWorld. Um, It's not fully about SeaWorld, but of course it ties heavily into SeaWorld and part of the Shamu show. Um, And it's really just, it's a documentary that showcases... What is being done to these orcas? What's being done to their, uh, I don't know, they swim in pods maybe? I don't, I don't know what they're called out there. But, the, you know, they're being ripped from the oceans. Or at one point they were being ripped from the oceans. Basically sent to these uh, different uh, 
water theme type parks to be put into shows and such and such. And of course, that that inevitably leads you down the road to a Sea World. Telecompo is the one that went after her. Don is the senior trainer here at Shamu Stadium. She captured what it means to be a SeaWorld trainer, but it made me realize what happened to her really could have happened to anyone. I've been expecting somebody to be killed by a telecom. We weren't told much about it, other than it was trainer error. It didn't just happen. It's not a singular event. You have to go back to understand this. Um, it, it was it was very... It, it was enlightening to a point. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that are just completely up in arms at the the treatment of the killer whales and that they're, you always get the contingent of people are like, you know, we're, we're keeping these wild animals in captivity that in, in, uh, circumstances that aren't their natural habitat granted understood. However, I, I always step back from any documentary I, I see and, and look at it like who made it and is it completely one side of this argument? If you watch a documentary, you need to watch the credits to see who funded it to figure out where the bias is. And, and you know, it brings up a, a good question here. Does, should a documentary have a, I don't want to say a right, but should we as watchers of a documentary have the right to expect that whoever's making a documentary will provide both sides of an argument. Would I like to see it? Yes. Do I believe that we have the right? No. Because I, I, I believe that it, it behooves the people backing a movie to make sure it sways in their favor. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that it necessarily pl- that would make any sense for somebody that th- thinks SeaWorld is the, the devil... To then start saying, but think of the money that SeaWorld has raised, though, for well, towards other things. And, and that's a lot of the things that I'm thinking of. Wait, yes. Is the, or, do, do they have some damning evidence towards SeaWorld and, and whatever other water park out there that harbors these, these animals? Do they have some damning evidence that, yes, they might have, uh, in the past, captured these animals, uh... Not illegally, but you know, just sort of in, in a bad way, where they just sort of yank them out of the water from their from their um, their very social creatures, mm-hmm. from, pull them away from their their young and, and stuff. Um, are they in tank? Yes, the, the SeaWorld tanks that they put these things are enormous, but is also akin to probably putting a goldfish into a little fishbowl. Right. Um, for it, all people see when they think about SeaWorld, and all people see. When you watch the documentary Blackfish, is a Shamu show. That's mm-hmm. all you see. That's all they're giving to you. That they're only doing this in the name of of entertainment and making the buck off people coming in who just want to see Shamu jump over hoops and stuff like that. They do do that absolutely. However, th- what isn't in this documentary is how much research and science. And conservation efforts and medical research that's done on these animals so that we know more about them. Because of SeaWorld, we know more about these creatures today than we've ever Mm -hmm. known in the past. So the question, the debate shouldn't be about so polarizing one or the other. The debate should be, 
should SeaWorld be allowed to use these animals? Uh, we're talking about five orcas compared to the... I, I don't know how it's, many orcas it's are out, a, Does the end justify the means kind of argument? Right. Hey, do, does the five animals or, or ten or however many mm-hmm. being put in an uncomfortable situation... Do their needs outweigh all the research and everything else we've gained from it? Or just from the public funding from people, from the gate of people going in? Or does that, all of that money and all those conversation efforts, conversation efforts and conversation, conservation, all, all of the knowledge gained outweigh the discomfort to those animals? Which isn't discomfort that's pain, right. but they're not necessarily happy. Well, for lack of a better way to we make those use. assumptions. Right, for lack of a better way to work, use, because of the way their fin flaps down and stuff, the assumptions, yeah. that's a sign they're not happy. Well, another another thing that, these, that the pro-whale people like to point out is that there's never been a human death by orca in the wild versus now there's been, I don't know, a handful of them while in captivity. Okay, fair enough, um... I would counter that with people aren't going to swim right. with the orcas they're out in the middle of the ocean. really swimming out Tell with the what, orcas. That, that whale watch boat that you're out there, dive in. Swim around. We'll have a death <laughs> at some uh, point. It's, it's not that argument, argument doesn't hold. No. Um, it, it, and, and certainly SeaWorld need to get better. We don't need trainers... Doing the standing well, on the snout of a yeah, killer whale. Yeah, that's just dumb. That, 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 you know, Roy Horn learned that the hard way. Right. I don't care how many shows you've done. Eventually, you're going to catch Tiger in the wrong frame of mind. And when they realize they're Tiger. Face, mm-hmm. And you're going to get what you get. There's no reason whatsoever for a trainer to be in the water at SeaWorld in this area. And from what I understand, SeaWorld's trying to fight that mandate from OSHA. That's dumb. Right. In that instance there, I am completely on board with OSHA and, and, the, and these other people that are, are the pro-whale. I'm not anti-whale. I just choose to think that there's a bigger debate to be had than what Blackfish tries to show you. Like I said, there is some damning evidence. SeaWorld has some work to do. Hmm? Um, you know, they brought in a bunch of ex-trainers, alleged ex-trainers from SeaWorld that are talking, you know, talking bad about SeaWorld. Well, you know what? Why didn't you say something then? Now you're sitting there all high and mighty after the fact, acting like you had nothing to do with, or, you know, there was no, it was beyond your control... You were a trainer at a fucking theme park. There was plenty within your control. If you as a group go up there and say, we think this is dumb, we're not doing it anymore. Let me tell you what. There aren't people, there aren't whale train orca trainers lining up at the unemployment office. <laughs> I, I think no, you had a lot no. more, a lot more you could have done than, than you're leading on. The, in my mind... They really need to come. They, the trainers that think there's an issue, should come forward first. Uh, all I care is that SeaWorld doesn't keep the people in the water. That That's my biggest thing is because the fact of the matter is, honestly, do people respect the animals more because a trainer is standing on its snout when it jumps out of the water? 
No. When I go, wait, I, I, I always go back to when they, Disney's first iteration, I believe it was the first, of the Living Seas, where they had the manatee mm-hmm. tank. There was no trainer in the water with them. It didn't make me respect those animals any less. Right. They were a beautiful animal that, because of where they lived in the waterways of Florida, were getting diced up by propellers that weren't wrapped. So wrap the fucking things. I can live with that. You don't need a trainer in the water to explain the importance of these animals or what you can get out of them. So SeaWorld needs to at least own that and say, sure. let's let this go. The, the, the people can easily watch... Shamu swim by and be impressed by it. It's a Shamu beautiful can animal. Still jump, he can still splash the first ten. Rows. And if it thinks it's going to get sardines or mackerel, whatever they get, he very well might. And if he doesn't, so be it. Mm-hmm. It's still a beautiful animal. That piece of it doesn't need to come into play. But the fact of the matter is, out and out abuse is where I, I, I draw the line a little bit and say I don't see where this is out and out abuse. It's a discomfort to the animal, but does the end justify the means? It might be more of a mental abuse. No question. And and that's the bigger debate is, we don't quite get the way their minds work. Are we fucking with it mentally? Mm -hmm. And is that, I mean, and for that same reason, I don't like circuses because to me there's a difference between putting animals in in a naturalistic setting for a zoo as compared to packing them up in a truck Mm -hmm. and hauling them down the road. Right. I have nothing for circuses once support it. Don't care about zoos. If you want to give them clowns and circuses, and we don't like clowns. True, very true. However, you want to throw clown into tiger enclosure at a zoo. <laughs> now we have a show. That's true. Because let's see you. Let's see Chuckles talk his way out of that one. That would be interesting. You better put that on pay per view, like an old uh, Roman uh, arena style, and instead of like. Uh, like uh, the the Christians versus the lions, the clowns versus the lions. Could you imagine just oh a, God. just like a tr- like a Volkswagen full of clowns <laughs> getting out of the cloud, cl- <laughs> <laughs> oh, jumping out <laughs> with the giant feet, and then letting and- the lions loose mm-hmm. in there. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> we could we could probably uh, repay the national debt with the pay per view. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> with all the nightmares <laughs> that are taken that. care of in that one <laughs> that one one hour viewing. It'd be horrible, uh, but it'd be, be beautiful. That horror. would be awesome to see clowns get mauled by <laughs> by lions. Maybe onto something. Blackfish is interesting enough. Um, my my advice on documentaries is always the same: is that it, it, don't just fly off the handle one way or the other. Um, you know, educate yourself as to both sides and make an educated uh, decision on how you feel about yeah, it. Just remember that, that there's always a bias in a documentary. They're not going to go to each side and ask for funding for the movie. Right. Uh, go ahead. Take a, take a turn. Alright, well I'll start at the lowest level of what I'm going to discuss and bring up Haunters, which is a uh, fairly new movie hitting VOD right now with Abigail Breslin, who I'm a fan of Abigail Breslin. She surprised me in, in uh, was it The Call? The Cell. The Call. The one with uh, Halle Berry as the dispatch the operator. Which ended up being a way better movie than I thought. I haven't seen it yet. It, it's, it's worth seeing. Um, but Haunters, on the other hand, not so much. Uh, Haunters starts with the, this late teenage girl who basically proclaims that she's heard the same stories every day. Her, her mom tells her her dad may not be able to give her a ride somewhere. 
because he's working on the vehicle. Fine, she says she's heard that story yesterday. What do they, does she want for her birthday? Because the birthday's the next day. Fine, you asked me that yesterday, Mom. And basically what you get real early is it's Groundhog's Day. It's that she keeps replaying the same day over and over and over. What you also realize real quick is it's Groundhog's Day with ghosts. That Abigail Breslin is dead. And that she's in a house that's basically like her place she's trapped. She's stuck in this constant routine because she's dead. dead. Not right off the bat, within maybe ten minutes into the movie, she realizes she's dead. And she starts getting people crossing over that are the current residents who are in bad situations. It's her job to try to help them or stop them or keep them from making that crossover to her realm. Makes, makes me think of the others. And, and therein lies the problem. This movie's been done before. Now, it may be little pieces from the air, there, and everywhere, but you've seen it. And you've seen it countless times, and the others is probably the busy, biggest example. You're talking a movie that got nominated for some Oscars that year, and it it this movie's nothing like that. It 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 tries so hard to be a legit movie, and it's so boring in its delivery. Nothing happens because it plays off like Groundhog's Day. What you see happening just feels like it's being repeated over and over again instantly. Uh, within ten minutes, you you already get the gist of it, and it goes on for an hour and a half like this. Um, there's one creepy element that they bring in this dude who she sees in photo quote unquote photos when they're looking at the house. She sees man that's in the back. It feels kind of like when you're watching Sinister and they realize there's something in there. Only Sinister times was scary. This was not. Can't recommend this movie. If you really want to see a movie like this, go rent the others. The others did it right. Or as right as this one did. This one says it's not rated. Don't know why. There's nothing objectionable in it. The only thing objectionable is the lack of plot. <laughs> so, I best I'd give it a 1.5 out of 5. I can't... It, I, yeah, it's a terrible movie. Yeah. Well, my favorite Pixar movie to date still remains Monsters Incorporated. So I finally got around to catching Monsters University. Mm. Um, and it was good. Uh, and I think it, I say it was good because I don't think you can recapture that. The Monsters Inc. was brilliant. Um, I loved Monsters Inc. Taking uh, such a unique concept as kids' fears about what's in the closet or what's under the bed and, and, and using that as the way that how the monsters uh, supply their energy sources and stuff like that. Well, Monsters University takes it back as a prequel back to the days when Sully and Miker go to college and, you know, the, they both are... Sully comes in as um, the child of one of the greatest scarers of all time. So he comes in all entitled and expected to be the top of the class and such and he's a little too cocky about it and and and, and things don't work out as well for him and then you got mike who comes in who and they, really the whole movie is playing off the fact how mike is just not scary and he enrolls to try to get into the scares program and, and meets with all sorts of obstacles as far as getting that because he's just not scary. And tonight we party like scares! I want a piece of that action! Friends call me Solid. Mike Wazowski. I'm officially a college student! Yeah! Woo! 
Gosh, you don't need to study scary. You just do it. That is a good point. What's so scary about a little old librarian? A bunch of guys went to the hospital last year. You could totally die. And it's worth it. Um, yeah, there, there was... There were some cute moments in it. Um, it, it. It wasn't as good as the first one by any stretch. But, I mean, entertaining. It wasn't a complete disaster. This wasn't a Cars 2 uh, <laughs> off of Cars thing. Um, you know, certainly not one of their... Not one of their best. Another... another. I don't want to say it was a misfire, but another just subpar Pixar, we got nothing better, so let's roll out a sequel to one of our other Unfortunately, ones. Unfortunately, this was a major hit, though. So they won't take any learnings from this one. Well, what what Pixar film isn't a major hit? Cars 2. But still... Or that, Planes. That, Planes was an utter abortion. Has Planes even come out yet? <laughs> yes! I Planes, didn't think, Planes came out in August or July, dude. That was that did. Pixar, though? I don't think that was Pixar. Mm, I'm 90% certain it was. When's the last time Pixar but came out with two flicks in one year? It, it wasn't. It, originally, to my knowledge, it was going to be a Pixar limited release or just straight to DVD. Oh. And, and oh, it was no. a side to wide release thing on the big screen that did nothing. Yeah. Um, well, they're working on some other stuff, I guess, Pixar is. I, I don't know what what's next. I, I Pixar doesn't carry the weight it did for me, at least, mm. you know, six or seven years ago. For me, The Incredibles was their last great flick. I know a lot of uh, a lot of fans will cite Ratatouille or sat, uh, cite Up as being great. Uh, Ratatouille had nothing for it. it had nothing funny about rat cooking food in the kitchen. And Up had some cute moments, but just didn't have that same... Uh, that same edge is like the older stuff, the, the Toy Story and the Monsters, Inc. and the Incredibles and stuff like that. Um, this is watchable. If you like Monsters uh, Incorporated, you'll like Monsters University enough. Um, it's, just, it, you know, it's just more with those characters just when they were prior to Monsters, Inc. Um, you know, three, three out of five. All right. Watchable if you're a fan. Yeah. I, I dug Monsters, Inc., so I know you need to see that one. I... I I haven't been big on the Pixar stuff, but Monsters, Inc. I liked. Incredibles, to me, was just brilliant. And and if there's a movie they really want to revisit, why has it not been The Incredibles yet? Why do they think Cars was the right choice to revisit? I get Toy Story, because that's kind of what created them. Mm -hmm. But Cars, I I, I just don't understand. The Incredibles, there's something still there that they could use. Sure. So mine... Uh, my next movie, I saw a, a very limited release comedy. I think it just got wide release with me saying wide in quotes. Last week, and that's Ass Backwards, written by June Diane Raphael and Casey... I just suddenly lost Why the last do I name. know that name? Casey Wilson. Thinking, June Diane Raphael is I'm Paul... I'm thinking about Sally Jesse nope. Raphael. <laughs> you do know June, June Diane Paul Shear's wife, and also uh, how, how did this get made? She's the female voice, right. uh, and it's basically about two girls that are close friends, but they cl- became fl- close friends back when they did a little kid beauty pageant, and they both lost horribly. So they grow up basically being angry older chicks with a grudge, and they get invited to like a twenty fifth re- reunion of this beauty pageant. They're going to redo the beauty pageant. So they decide they're going to go and compete again. 
And it's so it, basically what you end up with is a, a on-the-road comedy with chicks. So if you take Bridesmaids audience or bride, uh, Bridesmaids kind of humor and throw it into an on-the-road movie, you got ass backwards. It plays out pretty damn funny. There, there are some great scenes. There's a scene where they end up in an all-women commune with Max Mom and the real uber lesbian from Orange is the New Black, what Mama Boo or whatever she calls herself. And they're sitting there, and the, the women all singing songs, topless, and trying to indoctrinate this group. And how just angrily these two now look at the world. That they were so insulted at this beauty pageant attempt, they're going to destroy it. But in their minds, they also hope to win it, forgetting that they're friends and only one of them can win. So you already see the issue with the plot. You already see all the jokes inherent it it's funny enough but within an hour and it's more than played itself out it has every bit of feel of a limited release comedy there's not enough that's going to work for everybody here it's worth seeing but i really don't I, I can't highly recommend it. I'd say 2.5 out of 5. Go in knowing you're going to see a very R-rated comedy from two people that are very smart with their comedy, but this could have used some work. And they also did that device, which you're seeing in a lot of comedies right now, which is let's call as many comedic friends as we can and have them appear in the movie. Right. Obviously, Paul Shear appears in the movie. I want to say Rob Corddry appears in this movie. Rob Corddry always appears in those movies. Right. John Cryer's in this movie at some point. And, and you watch it going, okay, all right, all right. But what do you give me for substance? And the substance at times isn't there. It's not terrible. 2.5 out of 5. All right. Um, so yesterday I, I decided to go and check out 12 Years a Slave. Which I need to see desperately. Um, probably so. Um, this 12 Years a Slave is uh, directed by Steve McQueen. Uh, stars a uh, guy whose name I can never pronounce. Uh, Chiwetel Ojafor or something like that. I don't know. Firefly Flans will remember yeah, him from, from, uh, Serenity. from Serenity as the guy that was the hunter. Yeah. Um, this movie is nothing short of a modern masterpiece. Um, years from now, this will be spoken of in the same breath as Citizen Kane and The Godfather, in my opinion. It is an absolutely flawless, brilliant film. It is not a fun time at the movies. This will not be my favorite movie of the year, strictly because it's not a fun time. At the is, is this a movie that will bring on... Being a guilty white person. I well, want to know this. Well, this that, that is the interesting part about this. Because it, I don't believe the intention is there to, to force that upon anybody. Because we've always contended, you know, it, race, really, well, six months ago with the, with the whole Trayvon Martin thing, race was the big thing in the media and all this yeah. stuff, the, ra the racial tensions and stuff like that. And I've always contended, like, look, you know what? Slavery was 160 years ago and beyond. 
um, you know, the, the civil rights movement and stuff was, was in the 60s, the Martin Luther King stuff, when, before I was even born, I had nothing to do with that shit, okay? And I'm not going to sit here and feel guilty for it, because I didn't do it, I don't condone it, I, I, I'm not a racist, and this kind of stuff. So, so when you play that card with me, that you're a racist, fuck you. Now... 12 Years a Slave, while I don't think there's any intention there on trying to summon up any kind of guilt, um, what it does do is this film shows you, unlike any film I've ever seen before, the abortion that slavery actually was. Um, you know, Tarantino dabbled in some of those uncomfortable things, but within a Tarantino flick, you also have the, the fictional story around the, the Tarantino-esque dialogue and, and things mm -hmm. like that. This isn't that. This shows you in straight up black and white terms how brutal this was. And it is a bombardment. Scene after scene after scene of uncomfortable, uneasy brutality. It, it, it does not end. There's a situation there where they're hanging, where they're <clears throat> alleging to hang somebody, but they hang him where he can still use his tiptoes to touch the ground. And this scene goes on from different angles and through day and through night, from, from far, from close for a good five minutes of this film and you're just you're just left there to watch this try to play out it, with, with other slaves in the background just afraid to go and help the guy just just walking back and forth and stuff it, it, it is it is non-stop and it becomes extremely uncomfortable to watch at times and there are times where I will I will never say that I felt guilt but I felt shame for anybody who could possibly think that any of this was okay, mm -hmm. even back in the day when it was when it was it's okay, him, right? This is a list of goods and sundries. You will take it to be filled and return immediately. Take the tag. Tell Bartholomew to add it to our debt. Yes, Miss. Where are you from, Platt? I told you. Tell me again. Washington. Who were your master? Master name of Freeman. Was he a learned man? I suppose so. He learned you to read? A word, here or there. But I've no understanding of the written text. Don't trouble yourself with it. Same as the rest, master bought you here to work, that's all. Any more, I'll earn you a hundred lashes. Um, the performances, um, um, Cheetah Weddley or whatever, I, I just I have no idea how to pronounce the guy's name, uh, is astounding. And McQueen uses these lingering shots, and he uses close-ups, and every bit of, of what this guy is going through is etched on his face at all times. Um, uh, Michael Fassbender is literally evil incarnate as one of the plantation owners here. Cumberbatch is in this. And while he isn't the evil 
incarnate that Fassbender is. He's he's a guy who is just accepting of how things are. And while he's more civil, he also understands that things are as they have to be. Uh, Sarah Paulson is in this, and she is just a downright bitch. Um, there's another girl who plays Patsy, one of the slaves, and uh, she has another has a very uh, African name who I can't I cannot really recall nor pronounce. Um, a newcomer, and, and much in the way of uh, Barkad Abdi did in Captain Phillips, where they found this girl from, and she just comes in here and, and just, you know, oh my god, were you even an actor before this? Because you're, you're perfect for this role. Um, th- there is, from the performances to the direction to just the, st- the story, it's basically, just to reset it real quick, it's about a guy, um, uh, shit, can't think of his name, um, uh, Northrop. Uh, had, had a wife and kids and a nice, uh, nice family uh, home in Saratoga, New York, where, of course, there was no slavery and stuff. So he lived as a respected... He was a freeman. He was a freeman. <clears throat> and he lived as a respected freeman in, in and amongst uh, his community. And he was basically um, tricked into going... He played the violin, and he was tricked into going to play this violin at this uh, ceremony, at which point he was basically drugged and kidnapped and sold into slavery for... 12 years um and then it's all about his ordeal through these 12 years and getting passed around from plantation to plantation and never losing trying to lose the sight of that one day he could get back to his family um and i'll i'll let you see the movie to determine on whether or not that all happens um I, I don't, I, I can, I feel secure in calling my shot right now that this is the Best Picture Award winner. You're not I, alone in saying that. I, I, I've heard a few I people say don't, that. I just don't see how anything can knock this off. I don't at this point see how the dude uh, doesn't win Best Actor. Um, I would say Fassbender is a solid contender for Best Supporting. And Steve McQueen is a solid contender for, for Director. And I only say a solid. I don't, I, I don't give it to him straight up because I think Alfonso Cuaron may have something to say about that. Um, I, I, it, it's flawless. There, there's nothing that I can say negative about this film. If I could give a film a 6 out of 5, I would do it. It is by far... It, it is such an important film. It is such... It's, it, it, you, you were, it is a modern masterpiece. Yeah, I'm trying to find a way I can lock down to see it next weekend. There's got to be some way I can slip it in. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Alright. So. What <laughs> else you got? So I'll lead into... Birdemic 2. No. Uh, <laughs> electric Boogaloo. Right. Which I did see Birdemic 2. Don't bother. Well, I well, saw at, Birdemic 1. I well, I knew but the problem with Birdemic 2 is it was not done with the same director. So the, the approach... Well, that's a good thing. Well, but no. <laughs> their approach was this. That with Birdemic 2, they said, so what did people think was funny in Birdemic 1? And they put in all the things that were classic flaws in the movie and said, then let's do them again as Birdemic 2 and intentionally make this movie that bad. Which makes it way worse. Because at least for Demic 1, you're watching it going, 
he really thought he had something here. He truly thought he was making a difference with this movie about the environment and birds. In this one, they aren't even trying. Yeah. The man on the bridge is the same old man on a bridge. He happens to be in L.A. The, the tree hugger dude out in the middle of the woods is a tree hugger dude in the middle of the woods. But this time he's got a wife who found him because he was stuck out in the woods while he was hugging his tree. You're watching it going, I've seen this all a million times already when I saw the first one. So, Anyway, Zero Charisma. I saw the Nerdist Industries comedy Zero Charisma, which is basically about Scott, who's a a game master as compared to dungeon master in as, fact, in as much as he thinks D&D is a much lesser game, so he built his own. And it's about how some people draw into themselves so much that they forget how to communicate at a human level. In this case, Scott's world is his fantasy world. In it, he's God. So it's the one thing he can control. And as soon as things start getting messed with his game inside the world, it throws him off outside the world. Mm -hmm. So, in effect, you're kind of getting a, a snapshot... Into the, the geek world of role-playing gaming, but it's not really intended to be that way. And I think that's almost as the unfortunate thing in its delivery is there's a story to be told here. But I don't think people outside of the, the geek world are going to embrace it at all. Because it's so buried in, in the, the fact that his room is nothing but one big heavy metal or fantasy reference. All the posters are all of, like, Man of War and the big shots of the dude with the big battle axe. And then there's the, the, the map of the Middle Earth, which I'm realizing you've got on your wall right now. But well, Of course. But he can't escape that world. Every night is spent painting his figures and the, working with the same uber-god character he's working on. So it must be nice to have that kind of time. Well, it, and that's just... It is... His entire world is that. All he works is part-time jobs. He lives with his grandmother, waiting for that day that she dies, so he'll inherit the house and at least have that taken care of, so he can continue with his existence. But as his game world deteriorates, his world around him deteriorates. His mom comes back and basically lays claim to the fact that she wants the house, that she knows the value of it and can sell it for some money, uh, he realizes that he needs to get a job, that his friends don't like him anymore because he's such a dick in game. And that what I found was a little cheesy. They, I think they used the name like Greg Gordon or Greg Garson or somebody's coming to town. Not a, not even a veiled attempt at Gary, hiding Gary Gygax right. is coming to town, the local uh, sci-fi con kind of thing. And he wants to go and challenge him about all the rules and how he, they, this person's rules don't really fit to expanding things to the bigger world. The the game is uh, the game. The movie's well intended because its plan is to basically expand it so it works for everybody. So you're the game master, huh? Yeah. I guess that means you must be pretty creative, right? I guess. Martin, your elf takes 22 damage. New round. Everyone roll for your action orders and state your intentions. 
When we play tabletop RPGs, we are reawakening one of man's oldest traditions. Games. No, Nana, you promised you wouldn't disturb the game. No, you and your friends sitting in there pretending to be elves and fairies and shit. That's what's disturbing. I don't think I can play anymore at all. You're leaving the game? But we're almost to the Hall of the Goblin Queen. We have an open seat starting Tuesday. Of course I'm going to be the gym. Who else would it be? And, yes... Everybody can name that person that when you're watching it, you're saying, I know this guy. Mm-hmm. Or if you've ever played D&D, you certainly have played with that D&D master yeah. who, if you crack a joke at the table, will suddenly roll the die and say, oh, that orc heard you say that. And you're, fuck you. They forget that you're still there playing a game. Scott's world, the game became bigger than that. And he's trying to translate... All these outside influences into his game, and that doesn't work. It This movie will work for gamers. I don't know that it'll work for the mass audience because of the fact that it's one long gaming reference. If they'd been a little lighter-handed with it, I think it would work for everybody. But the intent of the entire movie was around the game. And around how obsessed Scott is. And let's be honest, it's Nerdist Industries. You tell me there's anybody that's part of Chris Hardwick's crew that doesn't know their way around a 20-sided die. Right. And, and so the intent was there. I just think to a certain extent it was unfortunate. The movie is highly watchable. I don't know about repeat watchability. It, it At times Scott is so frustrating you want to punch him. But... I can easily recommend it. I'd put it at like three and a half out of five and say go in knowing that you're going to get a healthy dose of role-playing gaming. If you can survive through that, you get a good movie. Cool. There it goes. Three out of five. Check it out. You ever see Darkness Rising? I've seen parts of it, never seen all of it. That was interesting. Yep. More of a, uh, where they, they're part of a, a, a like I said, a role-playing game and stuff, but they'll like uh, cut to like these... Uh, fantasy uh, scenes and stuff of them actually living the the dream, but it isn't like in their own heads and stuff. They just incorporate that into the thing. It's, it's, it's sort of funny. Um, Don't we have a Peter Dinklage movie coming out at some point? Well, it's called like no, 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 like called like the Champions of Night or something. And it's basically this this role playing gamers uh, fantasy yeah, world. I don't, I don't remember what that's called. That might have actually come out already. With little to no fanfare. Um, recommendations. Recommendations. I have, I have actually, and this may come as a surprise to you, and it may even infuriate you, I don't know. Um, but I actually have a music recommendation. And again, my my own opinion here. But I've been hearing a lot, and of course this was brought on because I think the chick is kind of cute. So I've been like scrolling through. You're not going to recommend Miley Cyrus bangers, no? Because no, she's not. Cause she's not cute. Thank you. Um, but the but the band I'm going to recommend uh, is is I you could say the hip, Knights of Badassdom. Yeah, was I heard really... um, a bit hipster and stuff like that. But I like their sound. They're kind of a folky folksy music sound stuff. But I've been kind Do of I need a, to give you a bigger shovel to keep digging this grave you're no, going into? No, no, no. Right. I've kind of been digging some of the music from the Lumineers lately. No, I don't know. So. Um, and they, they have, you, you, you've, you've heard their music because it's a lot of uh, 
there's been some commercials and things like that that have been set to this type of music. Like I said, they're, they're just basically a, a folk type thing. They've got uh, guitars, a guy who, the percussionist literally is like tambourine guy, blocks, uh, bass kick drum, and stuff like that. And they have a cute chick who I like. Um, so listen, check out, listen to some of the, uh, the Lumineer stuff. If you're, if you're, if you're into a, a lighter, more folksy sound, which I assume you are not. <clears throat> which is going to juxtapose interestingly with my recommendation. What, more death metal? No. <laughs> I'm going to recommend... Shut Up and Give Me the Mic, a Twisted Memoir, the biography of D. Snyder and his rise through Twisted Sister. And it, it, it is a most fascinating read because one of the first takeaways you get is anybody who remembers Twisted Sister's rise from the 80s, and, and sadly Twisted Sister is seen as a one-hit wonder, which doesn't even make sense by definition because they had three major hits from that album, Two would still get major play in I Want to Rock, and uh, and uh, we're not going to take it. With a third move being The Price, the, the power ballad. But still, people see it as a one-hit wonder. What's fascinating when you're reading this book is you realize that was from the Stay Hungry album, which I embrace as one of the greatest albums of that decade. And Dee Snyder argues it's flawed and was never intended to be released, A, when they did, and B, with the songs they had. Meaning that the Horror Terrier section, which are two songs, Captain Howdy, and I can't remember the last one. It was about a child molester. Street Justice. And there was a song on the backside, having the cassette or the vinyl, called, what, Don't Don't Bring Me Down or something, or Don't Break Me Down, that he felt was just atrocious. And the producer of the album that they were given, Tom Werner, who did a bunch of metal stuff, and he despised chose these songs and said they were going to be the big hits and that we're not going to take it and I want to rock or just trash that wouldn't go anywhere. What's always amazing to me with reading rock documentaries or anything like this is the crossover that they have with other bands. One of the bands I remember quite well from the 80s is a band named Crocus, which is a Swiss metal band. And how much, apparently, Twisted Sister, not only do they despise Crocus, but Crocus fucked over Dee Snyder's wife for a boatload of money for costumes she made for him. And it's stories like that that to me are absolutely fascinating. If you have anything for the hair band 80s, I can't recommend this enough. Because one thing about Dee Snyder, I always respected the hell out of him. Because in the 80s when everyone was living, by, living to excess, and certainly I knew my way around the bottle. But I didn't get the bands that were the heroin addicts and everything else. Because I'm watching saying, you can't do that forever. At some point, it's going to be too much. Ask Nikki Six and the Motley Crew how that go, turns out. Dee Snyder was about as clean as they come. His mouth wasn't. But in terms of drinking, he didn't do it. He didn't do drugs. He was, it wasn't in any of that scene. He was very much, I'm a metal guy. I just want to make music and bring it out to the world. And this is what we are. And as a result, he was a great poster child for that genre, the better parts of it. And this book is just reference after reference of what that era was like. Being the first band on MTV to have a video that had a 
prologue to, or uh, yeah, prologue to it. We're not going to take it. Have the scene at the table with the father, the uh, Niedermeyer from uh, Animal House, showing out the kids. They were the first video to ever do that. No video had gone so far as to have a story around it. There was a story within the video, but this was beyond that. And the way they kept expanding on it, it's a fascinating read. If you're interested at all in the 80s and the metal scene, I highly recommend Shut Up and Give Me the Mic by Dee Snyder. Right. My cautionary tale is he owns up right off the right off the bat that as a lead singer, you've got to be egotistical. And you've got to give yourself way more credit than you do. And he does a lot in this. Can't be afraid to be one of the blurry guys in the back. Exactly, and that's what he, he makes a that's comment. Almost famous reference there, <laughs> and but he's right that that people lock off. You have to get to a major level before people start getting past the lead singer. Kiss maybe has Eddie the Van Halen has Eddie's probably bigger than the lead singer at times, or at least equal to it. But most bands, it's all about the lead singer. They're the image, and and. He was the image of Twisted Sister. Sadly, they didn't last longer than they did. But the, the, the story is entertaining as hell. I can't recommend it enough. Shut Up and Hand Me the Mic by Dee Snyder. Yeah. And The Lumineers is our recommendations this week. We will pause here and come back with a top five list. We will. So, we thought that we would play a little bit off of the, since this is a, uh, a Thor review coming up, that we would play off of the Thor and Loki sibling uh, relationship here, and think back into some other movies, and think about what are some of our favorite movie siblings. And I guess this was, we didn't really talk a lot about what the parameters were going to be around this. We just sort of, sort of said that, um, that there needs to be like a main protagonist to the film or antagonist, I guess. Um, and that the sibling is, it can't just be an also character. They have to right. be integral to the plot. They have to have the some plot. sort of, some sort of reason for being there. But not as as important as the actual main person in it that that were that would be their sibling. Um, so I think I started last time we did one of these, so I'll let you actually start with this one. All right. Um, so top five movie siblings. Well, I, I'm going to go with one that may be contentious right from the boot, uh, right from the beginning, but it's a movie I hold dearly. And that would be King Arthur and Morgana Le Fay from Excalibur. Um, and, and the reason I say it may be contentious is because you could argue that they're from a, a, a bigger legend of the Arthurian legends. But arguably, there's no bigger antagonist and protagonist in all of literature than King Arthur and Morgana, who's his sister. He doesn't realize it's his sister when he sleeps with her and makes his, his son Mordred who is rumored to be the one to have killed King Arthur, at least in the legends. Uh, the way that they portray their relationship, though, in John Borman's Excalibur is absolutely brilliant. That was a uh, early, early role for Helen Mirren playing Morgana. 
Helen Mirren nailed the Morgana look. She's she tries to look. She was Morgana in Excalibur. She was a she was a very nude Morgana in Excalibur. I have to rewatch it. I own it too. And I haven't. Uh, yeah, no. Nope. Helen Mirren was Morgana, and and the way she played it as kind of like the cast-off sibling who's watched her brother's rise, and her brother has no idea she even exists. That she was taken. That he was taken by uh, by Uther to give to Merlin, and she's watched as his rise, and she's got nothing, and she wants to gain the throne. It, it was such a great. Great story, and she plays a perfect antagonist of a King Arthur. So I would definitely have to say Morgana Le Fay with King Arthur and Excalibur. Nice. Um, my number five is um, maybe a little bit of stretch in that I think that the sibling that I'm going to bring up uh, as the secondary sibling, you could arguably say has... Sort of an equal footing as the main sibling that I consider, but I'm looking back at Cameron Crowe's Fast Times at Ridgemont High, um, and you had uh, Stacy Hamilton played by Jennifer Jason Lee, who I I would argue is one of the main main protagonists of the film, but she also had a brother, Brad, played by Judge Reinhold. Who has some absolutely steam sealing moments? Um, a lot of you know, based around uh, one of the notable ones is when he gets fired for arguing about the guy uh, and his uh, his breakfast, and of course one of the most iconic scenes of the '80s uh, as he's in there having a moment with himself as Phoebe Cates uh, and ascends. arguably the. Best scene that came out of the eighties well, for, that, that, for that kind that of thing. Scene, when you say name a scene from the eighties, that if that's not in your top five, you can hear the cars music the, in the background you are not right of now. The 80s. Um, down, down, bow, 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 bow. And talk about a guy who just disappeared after the eighties. And I think yeah. he's popped up in a couple of things, but but Judge Reinhold was one of those eighties icons. Um, Absolutely, and in his role as Stacy's brother Brad is something that stuck out to me uh, as as a sibling who who has significance in this film, albeit not uh, in, in the main plot. He was just sort of an aside, but definitely an icon from the eighties. Brad Hamilton in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Fair enough. Hope I'm... that wasn't on your list. No, but you're fairly close to one that is. Okay. But not here. I'm going to go with a film a lot of people may not have seen by David Cronenberg. A movie about twin gynecologists. 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 Played both by Jeremy Irons, the Mantle Brothers, called Dead Ringers. And it's a true Cronenberg film where you know things aren't right from the get-go. You've had about sex. Sure I have. Well, I've discovered why sex is. You have? Fantastic. It's because humans don't live underwater. I don't get it. Well, fish don't need sex, because they just lay the eggs and fertilize them in the water. Humans can't do that, because they don't live in the water. They have to internalize the water. Therefore, we have sex. So you mean humans wouldn't have sex if they lived in the water? Well, they'd have a kind of sex. 
They're the kind where you wouldn't have to touch each other. I like that idea. You add in the fact that they're both both absolutely obsessed with the same woman. And I want to say it's played by uh, Genevieve, Genevieve Bougeot, who was, what, 1970s and 80s. She was all the rage out of, out of the French movies. And it's how they keep kind of trying to one-up each other, trying to get the perfect woman in their mind. But she has no idea which is which. She's not even totally... Understand the fact that they're two different people, that they, they share the same practice and they basically start slipping into each other's lives to try to get the attention of her. It was a really interesting play on the identical twin idea because everyone's heard about, the, everyone has, knows those identical <laughs> twins and you ask them, did you ever sit down on a class for each other? Try, did you ever sit down on a relationship with each other? And you have dead ringers. It's a fantastic movie that not many people have seen. Jeremy Irons, when he wants to play a creepazoid, can play it well. And the Mantle Brothers are absolute creeps. So, dead ringers. Well, I'm going to uh, segue off of your identical twins thing there into my number four. And I'm going to go into the Harry Potter franchise. And one of your main, your top three characters there, Ron Weasley, had identical twin brothers... Fred and George Weasley, who, for the most part, throughout the early films, were just these side characters. We knew that Ron had a sister, and, and you know, to some degree, you could even throw Ginny Weasley into the argument here. She would, she would definitely qualify as a significant character. And Fred and George were more of a comic relief early on, but the actions that Fred and George Weasley take towards the ending films in in sacrificing themselves, um, in, in getting expelled from Hogwarts, in, in one of them paying the, uh, the ultimate sacrifice towards the end at the Battle of Hogwarts, Fred and George were this comic relief who, who later on held a lot of significance around what was going on with, their, with the battle against Voldemort and, and such. So for me, George and Fred Weasley are, are the siblings I'm doing. And like I said, in... in and, and 4B would be Ginny Weasley, who, who clearly has significance uh, early on and, and throughout the series. Mm-hmm. So the well, Weasleys, she does become Mrs. Harry Potter, so... Well, she becomes that, but you look back all the way back to the second film, film of the Chamber oh, she of She was the one around, the, around Mona, and, and uh, she was the one that was being communicated well, through. Well, she was the one that was, well, that was, uh, was taken yep. by the uh, Basilisk and, yep. and all that, yeah. So uh, yeah, the Weasleys in general, but Fred and George were my were the ones that stuck out to me. All right. Well, I, three. This one's going to be a cop out, but I, I'm sorry. I love this goddamn film, and I hate myself for it. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito and twins. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've seen this movie a bunch of times, and this movie to me is flat out fun. I I I, I saw it in the theater. I love the movie, and by then I knew what Danny DeVito was. And when I heard he was casting, I'm like, so clearly he's got to be the antagonist. And he certainly plays it in that movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, look. Is this really necessary? Yes, person? yes, of course it's necessary. I'm not going to introduce you to my mother looking like a goat herder from Albania. You need clothes. A 
But I feel fine the way I am. But you look like a... Hello, can I help you? Oh, yeah. do I look like I need help? Here's the problem right here. we got to do a whole ensemble. But the whole, let's be honest, you can't return to the 80s. You can't go back to the way we got away with comedy then. Whereas, so we'll take Arnold Schwarzenegger, put him next to Danny DeVito and say, they're twins, instant humor. We thought that shit was funny. I still do. Right. Now it won't play out as much. I know they're talking about doing a triplets movie now yeah, with, a black with Eddie Murphy as uh, the black brother. Dude. And that's just not going to oh, work. It's going to be horrible. I love twins. I'm sorry. I, I, I hate myself for it, but I have to put you it here. You probably should hate yourself. I should, for but I'm owning it. Twins, my number three. Um, my number three, and it's something we referenced earlier, uh, at least a movie we referenced earlier. And the sibling that I'm going to pull on here has absolutely zero significance to this film until the last two minutes of the film. And it's Jack Jack from The Incredibles. Okay. <laughs> well, gee, you thought I was going somewhere else. Yes, I did. Um, Jack Jack's just this cute little baby. Jack Jack has no. But powers. Jack Jack's the but the, the, the little five Jack... minute just Jack Jack movie oh, is one of the best parts of The Incredibles. <laughs> absolutely. And at the end, when Syndrome is going up to the sky, he stole Jack Jack, and Jack Jack turns into the Human Torch. <laughs> Right there, and essentially is is what leads to the end of Syndrome, the main pro, uh, antagonist of the film, and it just just floats back down and starts sucking his thumb again. Jack Jack is awesome. Yep. <laughs> Jack Jack is my number three. All right. So now I'm going to say I'm going back to the 80s. And Ooh, I got one there for going back to the 80s, too. People better forgive me for this, because I've got to say... Ferris Bueller and Jeannie Bueller are, to me... Well, we can talk about this because that's also my uh, number two. Oh, is it? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) come on. The the fact that Jeannie, who, if you're watching it in the beginning, you don't see her as the foil. But as the movie plays out, she was perfectly written as the foil. Obsessed. She's obsessed with the fact that Ferris is getting everything, and she is the afterthought. She's as obsessed with with taking down the the the, the aura of Ferris Bueller as principal is. And it's funny when this one came to me, dude. It was literally like this light shone in front of me. I'm like, oh my god! You get to school. Wait, you letting him stay home? I can't believe this. If I was bleeding out my eyes, you guys would make me go to school. This is so unfair, Jeannie. Please don't be upset with me. You have your health. Be thankful. Oh. Mm. Oh. That's it. I want out of this family. Ferris and Jeannie, it's... And I go back to the scene where the freaking I'm the nurse who loves to fuck shows up and (laughs) Jeannie opens the door and here's this naughty nurse and the look that Jennifer Grey has was perfect. Yep. It was the absolute frustration that's built up of years of being Ferris Bueller's sister and as a result you are the afterthought. Right. The kid who's a, just a total asshole can do no wrong and nothing you do is right and this was just it. Right. Plus the scene with Charlie Sheen and it's the police brilliant. station. And I'm not a big Sheen I'm going to tell you a little story about a guy though. They Ferris Bueller. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was, it, Dude, Ferris Bueller is, is easily one of my favorite it, movies it, of the it, And the thing is, if you look back, it, it has to be 
one of the best things that came out of that decade. Absolutely. And, and it's not just the characters. The whole story, the whole idea behind it is brilliant. This is, at the highest level, it's the most elaborate skip day ever. But there's so much it's, going on in this movie. It's, it's in my top three, right along with Back to the Future yep. and The Goonies. Those are my top three in yeah. this film. So... That's funny. That's number two. Yeah, there, there it is. So we've just saved a little time there by saying the G.D. Bueller. So go ahead and give me your number one. And I, I, I'm I, concerned that we have the same number one. Well, again, I, I'm going a true story put to film. So oh, does... Well, I'm definitely... All right. We're definitely not on the same page. Though. Mickey and Dickie Warden, the fighter. Nice. Um, I, I didn't even consider You know, it, yeah. I, I didn't want to put this here because I, I know it's a true story. But holy God, if you look at a film that was all but flawless. David and, and, Russell and is my hero. <laughs> the way that they were drawn in this, I don't know if it's real. Certainly the little bit you see at the very end when it shows mm-hmm. the real people. It was nailed by Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg from what we can see. David O. Russell's delivery in this movie is perfect. Are you like me? Huh? Just good enough to fight Sugar Ray? Never had to win, did I? You gotta do one there. You gotta win a title. For you, for me, for all. This is your time, alright? The day I have you for my boy, you don't have to, alright? You fucking get out there, you lose a lot of shit, you build a rat fucking head, a lot of shit that we've gone through over the fucking years, you put it in that ring right now, this is yours, this is fucking yours. The Fighter, I've watched it countless times, and I'll keep watching it. It's a great movie, it's a movie that, it's... At its highest level, it's just a sports movie about boxing. But it really shows how low some people can have to sink before they rebound. And what human, what humanity can go through before they bounce back. The Fighter is a flawless film. It's a beautiful film. And people need to really embrace it. Get past the fact that it's a boxing film and take it for what it is. There's Mickey and Dickie Ward. Exactly. It's it's about their relationship and their relationship with their mom. It's it's a great movie. You want to movie. see Bale at the top of his game. Mick, and so, hate me for saying a, a true life movie, but Mickey and Dickie oh, Ward's The Fighter is a great choice. One that I actually hadn't even considered before. Yeah. Mine, I'm going back to the, the early aughts here. Okay. In one of the, one of my all-time favorite comedies. In my number one. My number one is Kip Dynamite, brother to Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> I never thought of that one. That's a great choice. <laughs> Who basically just just is just another character in a sea of characters. And I, oh, there was something I was going to tell you too. And this is complete. It's not off topic, but it's off topic. In that I, Uncle Rico was in something I He's saw. He's done a bunch of stuff, dude. Yeah, but what was it I was watching the other... Oh, he was... Uncle Rico was Laszlo in Real Genius. Yes! <laughs> Uncle Rico was Laszlo... That's the light going on over my fold. head. Now I'm yeah. picturing that horrible wig yeah. Laszlo had and the big beard and mustache. Laszlo was... Laszlo Holyfeld was, was the guy who was Uncle Rico in Napoleon Tacoma. Right. So he the, helped get all the popcorn inside yes. the professor's house at the end. Yes. Oh my God, you're right. Um, but yeah, Kip Dynamite. I mean, dude, I, a lot of people hate Napoleon Dynamite. You either love or you hate Napoleon Dynamite, and I fall on the love side. And there's just just scene after scene of just 
just comedic greatness. And it's one of those films that's just one of the most quotable comedies of all time. And Kip is somebody who who owns a lot of those things. <laughs> See, I'm going to eat all the freaking chips, Kip. Napoleon, don't be jealous that I've been chatting online with Dave all day. Besides, we both know I'm training to become a cage fighter. Since when, Kip? You have the worst reflexes of all time. Try and hit me, Napoleon. What? I said come down here and see what happens if you try and hit me. Such an idiot. Let's see what your best move is. Fonda is the greatest thing awesome, that ever dude. happened to me. When he's standing and waiting for the bus, and he's got the Lafonda yeah. side, and you see Lafonda <laughs> coming out, you're like, "Oh, clearly we know who Lafonda is." <laughs> so Kip Dynamite for me is is my number one. Um, so that was a fun list. Uh, we will break here for the last time. Uh, we'll throw uh, some trailer sounder up here, and we'll come back with. And we have not had any discussion about this yet. We have not. We will come back. We didn't with, see this movie together, which not. is interesting for these. We'll come back with our review of Thor The Dark World. After all this time, now you come to visit me, brother. Why? To mock. I need your help. I wish I could trust you. If you did, you'd be the fool I always took you for. Some believe that before the universe, there was nothing. They're wrong. There was darkness, and it has survived. I gave you my word. You face an enemy, no longer to a few, no only to one. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help. If we do nothing, they will destroy us. You even think about betraying us. I'll kill you. That was from New York. I like her. Thor, your bravery will not ease your pain. Your family, your world will be extinguished. We're running out of time. The very fabric of reality will be torn apart. Find a way to save us all.
Anyone else? So, Marvel Phase 2 Continuous. turns on. Um, I'll just come right out and say I had a blast with Thor 2. I thought this is the movie that Iron Man 3 should have been. Um, I, I, this was a lot of fun. It had some holes. But, but any comic book movie's holes. going to. I, I can get past it. There were some. They, they were forgivable. Uh, I, I thought it was a blast from it was. start to finish. It was. They, they, they gave us characters we wanted to see in ways we wanted to see them. Well, I would always argue that Thor has always had the most interesting supporting cast of characters. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. They certainly have a lot more. Casting him as just a god dropped on Earth, not that interesting. The, the choice of using Asgard as the setting for 90% of this movie was perfect. It was great. I loved it. Um, yeah, everybody everybody that was in it, I don't know if you read my review for the site. I after. avoided it. I, I saw you had one up, but I, I avoided it. I put up yesterday, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Hemsworth is, is perfect as Thor. But it's almost like, and especially in this one, uh, more so than the first one, is that Thor, and a lot of times, Thor's not even the main character in his own movies. Mm-hmm. Um, these movies be- tend to become a lot more about Loki, or at least equally about Loki as they do They're Thor. about Loki and the cast of characters around them. Yep. Certainly the best scenes seem to play off with the other characters. Even the other, the, the four warriors, which I'm losing the name of, when they're they're trying to stop Odin from getting yeah. from, from Odin's guards from getting to Thor, plus Heimdall, and, that was yeah. that was great, great stuff. And I, and I think that's what was missing. And you and I both acknowledged that we saw the first Thor and were pleasantly surprised by the movie. Yeah, it ended up being it. better than it should have been. I enjoyed it. This capitalized on it and, I, and I gave us. It Thor, but it also gave us all the other characters that were so interesting times yeah. 10. Yeah. And, and, and for me, it was like the scene with Loki changing forms when they're walking when he becomes Captain America and stuff. That was one of the greatest scenes. That was when he turns into uh, Jane Foster. Yeah. And like, oh, I see what you see with her. And, and he's like, I want to say there was a reference where he changed into Captain America about wearing the cod, cod yeah. piece of power or something. <laughs> I'm like, this is perfect. Yeah. You, you're owning the fact that Loki is a popular character. Even though he's been a villain, he's yeah. popular because you cast it correctly. And you cast it with somebody well, unlike, always- uh, oh, Jesus Christ, uh, Agent Smith. Uh, oh, Hugo Weaving. Hugo was, Weaving, uh, who washed his hands of Red Skull completely. Yeah. You've got a, an actor here who's a great actor who's owned the fact that he's Loki. Yeah. And is even doing commercials as Loki. Yeah. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. That's what the audience is going to embrace. And that's why it worked that are well. Are we in danger of getting Loki overload, though? We are. They don't need to do another Loki movie right off the bat. And I'm thankful that Avengers 2, they've already said there will be no Loki. Which is good. Yeah, we need to, we need to move past Loki. And Loki fits well in this one just because it's on Asgard. And we know that he's an integral part of that world. Um, but yeah, Hiddleston is, is just absolutely brilliant. This movie is, is, for my money, it's the funniest of the Marvel movies. But, uh, there were some question. serious laugh-out-loud moments. To the point where there was there was more funny mov- moments in this than some of the comedies I saw this year. Yeah, without question. 
Just when he goes inside the house there and he like hangs the hammer up on the coat. That was off. It was <laughs> little bits like little or bits. When yeah. he goes in and I can't remember where uh, Brittany was looking for him, the subway. He says how many? And then the little blonde <laughs> chick says it's three stops from here. And he, yep. All right. So he just raises his hand, grabs the bar, and the the chick leans against me. Kind of gives that look like ah, I get used to this. Yeah. And, and even Cat Dennings, as as much as I think she's hot. But a character Darcy's annoying to the story yeah. was funny as shit at times yeah. in this movie. Stellan Scars. Oh my god! <laughs> running around naked, <laughs> and, and, and just when he's wearing just his tidy whiteies yeah. and his freaking dress shirt, yeah. he's like, eh, "All right, so we're going out. Guess I got to get some pants." Right. That was. This yeah. movie was so much fun, and even the Stanley bit, and I despise the fact we're rolling him up. So brief. It was so brief and in a place that worked because yeah. it was an insane asylum, which I thought was funny as shit. Right. I just took it as an old folks home. You took it as an insane asylum? Dude, there was wire on the windows. I, I, just, I just saw it as an old folks home. No, no, window. they showed wire on the windows. <laughs> um, so basically what, what we're dealing with here is, um, and, and, and this will probably prompt some discussion about the things that didn't work as well in the movie for me. We're, uh, we're, at the beginning, we're dealing with uh, the Dark Elves. And Christopher Eccleston, who played the first Doctor, doctor. in the, the more modern Doctor Who, who I loved as Doctor Who in a Senate, and I've only watched that first season that he was in it. And I loved Eccleston I actually owned that season. I, I thought he was great as the Doctor. But anyway, he plays Malekith, who is sort of the leader of the Dark Elves. And they felt a lot... The Dark Elves and, and their sort of, uh, their big henchmen who, like, would break that thing and they'd become, like, this all-powerful being. It felt very... Yeah, the course, Uruk- but it was Uruk- Urukai Warrior to me. Or I felt way. like Golden Army Hellboy, too. Like, something yeah. that uh, yeah. Benicio Del Toro... Uh, not Benicio. Uh, 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 Guillermo Del Toro. Guillermo Del Toro was great. <laughs> no. <laughs> But that was a Freudian slip. He was slip. awesome in traffic. Yeah. I will say that. And in the bit at the end. Um, so you've got these dark elves. And for me, I, you know what? The dark elves never felt like the threat I think they were intended to be and at any point through the movie. It, it was something like, a right, little we, too steampunk for yeah. me. With the, what, what killed me is, and, and it may be this way in the comics, is... They're bringing out blasters and bazookas and yeah, yeah then and, and grenades and stuff. I just never. I don't felt, know enough about the comic to to know how true to the comic. I that just was. never felt throughout the whole flick that this was a legitimate threat. Yeah, they can they can inflict some damage, and yeah, Malekith can can scowl and 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 be ominous on command. But I never felt there was anything here that. That Thor and his his ilk were going to struggle with ultimately in the end. Yeah, I can buy that. Ir- irregardless, there was this. Um, it, you had uh, this thing called the Ether that Malekith knows that if he has the Ether, he is going to become all powerful. And every I don't know. Many, many years apart. 5,000 years. Basically, to reference the Dark Crystal, it's the Grand Conjunction. Mm -hmm. It's the alignment of all the planets. Yeah, and it was called, basically this was called the Convergence. Yeah. And it was an alignment of the Nine Realms. 
realms, Asgard and, and whatever other realms, the dark, whatever the dark elves were from, or the frost giants are, basically a convergence. And if you have the ether, you can basically rain darkness upon the entire universe at this point. And all the ether really is is like this liquefied l- weapon. It's like spilled red wine. Right, that just spreads across things and it has power, but its biggest power of all is just basically. Bringing darkness to everything it's, yeah, around it. it its it, bearer will will be able to unleash this darkness. Both metaphorically and physically. Correct. Um, so, in way back in the day, when the, the forces of Asgard defeated the Dark Elves, they they had buried the Aether. Poorly. Clearly <laughs> poor, poorly. Um, well, but it held for 5,000 years at least, so again, maybe not too poorly, but... <clears throat> um, which which felt a little too like, all right, uh, well, we need to bury the Tesseract so nobody ever finds it. Right. So which, we need to bury the Aether. With the additional so, yeah. scene during the credits gets played out even worse that right, way. Right. So, in modern days, our heroes, Jane Foster and, and uh, Darcy and that stuff, they stumble across the, the portal to wherever the Aether is and whatnot. And some more funny scenes there. And one of the funnier scenes, but plot-wise, it's a little weak. <laughs> yeah. That it just so happens to be them. Right. And it just so happens to be there. Right. Um, so, Jane Foster somehow becomes consumed by the ether. The ether is now inside of her. And it looks and feels a lot like, almost like the Extremis piece from the Iron Man yep. series. So this whole this whole plot device here seems very played out. They've changed the names and the places to protect the innocent, but it feels a lot like stuff that's. But isn't from that kind stuff. of a knock on Marvel? Period. Yeah, perhaps. That a lot of their plot perhaps. lines, people like oh, kind of read this before. It was yeah. called something else. Yeah, but it's been done. But that's where we're at here, and all of a sudden, two things have happened now that Jane Foster has us. First of all. Thor somehow senses that she's in trouble. So this is Thor's cue to show up on Earth after two years of abandoning her. And they play that up like, you left and you never came back and stuff like that. Well, I couldn't, but... It, which is one of those plot holes that's a little a little bit sketchy. It's like, I couldn't because they broke the, uh, the, the, the bridge... It's but like, well, suddenly, you made it back to New York right, to help the Avengers. Right. And, and, and suddenly Handel has yeah. the bridge repaired for right. now. Right, right, right. Yeah, the Bifrost um, or whatever it was was broken right. at first. Right. And then, so we have Thor coming back uh, for Jane. And then it also has awakened Malekith, who's been in this Stasis for the last... And a very cool-looking ship, so it looked oh, yeah. like it's something out of Star Wars. Absolutely. It's a total rip-off of the Slave uh, Slave 1 from Boba Fett, actually. Yeah. Um, so we have him back in the picture now, and he's he's angrier than, than ever, and he wants to... He knows that, odd, fortunately enough, that, that Convergence is a-coming again, so he wants to rain darkness upon the, the Nine Realms. So, Thor takes Jane up to Asgard. And that is where we stay for the majority of the movie. Mm -hmm. And it's at this point that we basically just fall into a family drama. Less of a superhero film and more into a family drama. 
Yeah, yeah. The my dad doesn't accept my girlfriend. Yeah. Mom likes her, but uh, right. sorry, mom. Right, yeah. right. And then you have the uh, the disgraced brother. Yeah, <laughs> you know, who's off in the prisons for his transgressions against humanity. Um, and, and it's all set up to this. Oh, I know. Yeah, Malekith and his army are 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 uh, invading Asgard and stuff on, on the side. So you have these like two divergent plot pieces here we have to have the save the world scenario because well it's a superhero flick and then we have the character arc scenario over yeah. here of of how does jane foster fit into this world of the gods and they they brush very briefly past the whole is lady sif jealous of this and i mean you know she gives her a couple of side words looks and then she's passed off as soon as yeah. she helps uh natalie portman's character then lady sif's done this movie mm-hmm. and, and early on though the big deal was odin pointing out why do you pine for somebody who's not going to live like you will and can't when you've got this one who clearly wants you standing in front of you. Right. And yeah, then they show Lady Sif well. getting off on some badass them and little warrior battles and Yep. And certainly it, it, that's a tough battle to wait in your mind, Jamie Alexander against Natalie Portman. Yeah, you know it, I, it'd be nice to have that as a decision. Yeah. Kind of. But chooses Natalie Portman. Well, so we presume. Yeah, well, good point. It's everything looks that way. What I really enjoyed with this movie, though, is I felt like it added upon what we'd had from the Avengers by giving us still stories with an Avenger, and that was my knock with Iron Man three. Is at times it felt like I wasn't watching an Iron Man movie anymore. I was watching either Lethal Weapon or I was watching a Tony Stark movie. And and that didn't work so well for me. Here, I felt like I was getting Thor. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of Iron Man in that Iron Man movie. No! If you really go back to Iron Man moments in the costume, there aren't many. There's very few. Here, you get oh, Thor. Think, uh, a lot I, of Thor. I think Thor's first appearance in this film was one of the most badass scenes around. Where all of a sudden, you just oh, see him through the thing, all of a sudden the hammer, and there he yep. is. That is awesome, dude. And they did a great job of playing out Mjolnir in this movie. Yeah. Mjolnir got played a bit in the first one. This one, the whole bit in the end where he's thrown Mjolnir, but yep. he keeps passing through the different warps and Mjolnir is yep. trying to track him, was actually played out really well. That, to me, worked fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Right down to the, the bit with Odin, in the end, and I'm using Odin with quotes for those who don't see me and don't know right, what it means. Right, right, right. Making Spoilers. the reference about Mjolnir being yours, yeah. it played out perfectly. That's what I want to see in Thor. Yeah. Is I want to see Thor basically saying, no, I'm not going to sit on a throne. I want to be this badass guy who's defending those that can't defend themselves. I will always defend you, but I don't want to be your king. And that's a perfect way to spin that character. Yeah. It, it makes him way more tolerable Way more palpable. Yeah. And, and and that I think that's where they've gotten to now with this character. And what makes me happy is all the knock was early on, if you remember right, Natalie Portman didn't really want to do this movie. Because I don't know what director they had cast, but it was a female director. And she, when the, all of a sudden that director walked away because she was getting, not getting along with Marvel, 
Natalie was going to walk away from it. And they said, no, 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 you're contract, uh, contractually obligated. I thought we got a better movie than we got on the first go-around. Oh, absolutely. Well, Kenneth Branagh was the, the first well, one. And he and did, a, he great did job. a great job. But he had to do the creation. Well, with Thor, that's it's the creation story with Thor, that means something a little different. Yeah, and plus you were, you were going towards the Avengers. So that right. Was, the, that movie only existed because of the Avengers. Right. Um, whereas this one here, we already know the Avengers piece, and we know there's an Avengers 2, but you had a little bit more leeway in making this a, more of a standalone mm -hmm. and, and really, the only uh, reference to the Avengers was about what Loki did to New York. Right. And, and I, I can live with that. That's fine. Yeah. That, uh, if that's the approach they want to take, so be it. I don't need to keep rehashing the Avengers, but you can't disown it like it never happened. Right. So go with it on this approach. I'm not a huge fan of the Jane Foster character. And that's nothing against Natalie Portman's performance. She she plays it out as as she's instructed to do, as the character's written. But it is she is a very damsel in distress cliche. She comes yeah. across as more of a gushing schoolgirl than she does or anything. Oh, Thor. Oh, and stuff. You know, they brought her up to Asgard to try to save her from having the ether inside of her stuff. But she always felt, as a character up in Asgard, she always felt as a lesser individual that was just sort of in the way. And they felt obligated to protect her because she needed to be protected. To the point that they even put her in, put her in hiding with Frigga. Yes. Yeah, I felt the same way. The, the, I, I wished I'd seen her be a little, little more, more. You know what? I, I I'm Thor's girlfriend, which gives me some power. And I, and when she has the ether in her, and yep. she knows she has this ability, yep. hiding doesn't make sense. Right. You you at least can control it or stand next to Frigga a little bit. Well, and they they even uh, they even reference the fact that it's like that she won't survive this much power inside her and then they leave it there right well she looks fine <laughs> yep and she had it in her for a little bit i mm -hmm. mean certainly it was a couple of days she was walking around with that shit it's, in her. it's like she never she never had to use that power and they, so they sort of they sort of left left a couple things like that that in the whole the whole i don't know love triangle between sif and and her yeah, well, let's hang out there of, forever. They just sort of yeah. brush by it. They never really do anything with it. So. it. It got ended pretty much when Thor was having the drink with Lady Sif after the celebration. Yeah. Yeah. And and Sif's kind of like, let's go over here. And Thor's like, no, I I bid you good night, Lady Sif. And that's yeah. that. Yeah. Um, is great in this flick again, like we said. Mm -hmm. um, and he plays... Loki, even in the comics, all he is is just a, he's, he's a manipulator. Mm -hmm. He's a villain, yes, but he's a manipulator who has, who, who does have tendencies towards doing the right thing at times. Well, again, in the mythology, Loki is a trickster god. Right. And, and that's the way they play him up even more in this, which this is the first time they've really shown Loki using his powers as a trickster god. Mm -hmm. In the past, they'd almost made it like the Tesseract was doing it or whatever else. Yeah. No, now you get to see Loki being Loki. And to me, the best scenes were when, like the one when he showed the, uh, when they showed the, the cell. And Loki was yeah. talking, then 
Thor makes comment, this isn't you, and cut, and all of a sudden the, the scene changes, yeah. and there's Loki sitting almost crying in the corner, and his cell's destroyed. It was just, he was putting on an act right. for those going on around him. That's Loki. And this is the, really the first time they've gotten to that point with Loki, that you see him as the trickster god who has powers, but this is all it is, and he has to use his intelligence to get, al- get along in Asgard, too. Um, Odin, uh, Anthony Hopkins. There's way more Odin here than you had. There is, or or at least more significant Odin here. But you may like him Um, less in this one. Yeah. At times he's out and out douchey. Um, and then uh, certainly more for Frigga to do here. Yeah, I liked her a lot in this. Um, you know, another piece of this that, that bugged me a little bit is that they didn't let the dramatic emotional elements linger and immediately you, you, you have something happen that should be a, a an emotional piece of the puzzle, then all of a sudden they're they're doing something campy it's and fun again. Especially for Thor. Thor yep. should have had a major issue with what just happened. Yes. And 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 even Loki, but they played it up a little bit with Loki in his cell and this what I just referenced. But Thor it literally just happens. Right. And they move on. And they get campy again, like you say, and it's like it never happened. Right. Which, I don't, I mean, yeah, looking at the mythology, I don't know how you can move on from here without it being a significant event for that character. It has to be. Right. Yeah. Um, the end credit sequence, um, the, the, the mid credit, you have a mid credit sequence, you have an end credit sequence. The mid is more the connecting point. It's a connecting point for Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Um, and a lot of it, if you're not familiar with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm not real, real schooled on it, uh-uh. a lot of what, while you'll understand what's happening, it, it, you may not know the deeper context about what this is implying. <clears throat> um, if you're a Guardians of the Galaxy fan or, or you're schooled on that, then this is going to play off a lot better. And then wait for the end credit scene. Which I thought was was hilarious. It was funny as shit. Yeah. And and what I find fascinating is when you're sitting there watching, people at Marvel movies now don't leave the seats. You'll get maybe a third of the audience that will get up and start leaving. And some are always going to anyway. Sure. But with Marvel movies, or as a result of the Marvel movies, for the most part, the audience stays put. Until that very final scene thing goes up, when you get the, the music goes by and the composers and everything yeah. else... There's always a scene, and people stay right strapped to their seats for it. Right. And there was payoff to a certain extent for the final scene here. I would argue for the the longer storyline, or at least the connecting storyline, the first one's a bigger deal. For the longer story around Thor, the second one actually plays in. Yeah, absolutely. And we've actually referenced why, when, when people see it, they'll understand. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a blast with it. It was a great you know, movie. Little, little, I, and I'll probably own this depending upon the, the uh, extras. Little things aside, um, yeah, it, it's just it was fun, it's, fun it's entertaining, it's it's just, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel overplayed, doesn't feel too long, it's just, it's just a fun movie. I went in with certain expectations, not only were they met, they were exceeded. It was a fun movie. This could have played out well during the summer as a great summer flick. Yeah. I like it falling now. 
Yeah. Because honestly, it's only competition right now is Ender's Game, which is destroyed this weekend. And it probably doesn't have any competition up until Catching Fire, which Catching Fire is going to run away with it in two weeks. Fine. Thor will have run its course. People have seen it by then, so it's no problem. So I I get rolling it out now. Which brings us to the fact that in two weeks, we will be seeing Catching Fire. What letter grade or what number grade do you give, Thor? Um, I give it a a four. Yeah. Four or five for me is... A solid bet. It's very watchable. There my, are flaws. My, you, you'll, but the flaws are forgettable with everything else. My going critics' on. eye would would air it down probably to a three point five. Um, but there's too much fun to be had here, so I'm willing. Then, then I'm I'm willing to overlook some of the little things. And, and after say, seeing from an entertainment standpoint, it's a four. And after what Iron Man three gave me after the Avengers, this is the movie that if they'd followed up the Avengers. I could live with this. This would have felt really good after For that. me, the Avengers is certainly the cream of the crop. Iron, The first Iron Man probably is my second yep. favorite, and then this one falls into that. Yep, into I would agree, wholeheartedly. Um, and that's nothing against some of the other flicks. No, it's, it's just that from an entertainment standpoint, this This, this one really played out fun. It was, yeah. it was everything you could look for in that kind of movie. Now, in two weeks, I'm hoping for the okay. same reaction to Catching Fire. We'll see. I'm now, looking this is an forward interesting to it. one for you because you haven't read the book right. into this one. Right. Which and I, I probably have, won't. I have an expectation going into this of what I, I hope to see on there. We'll, we'll see if it if it plays out on screen. Um, from from what I can see in the previews, it looks like they've they've captured it correctly again. They still have those those cheesy fire effects on the suits, but... <laughs> yeah, those are pretty dreadful. Yeah, they I, are. They are. With wow. the money they're dumping in, it's... Uh, yeah. But I can live but with it. whatever. But that said, you're talking a movie where arguably the worst names ever in a sure. book have come from this series. Um, but we will, we will reconvene in that. two weeks. We are definitely seeing that... It'll be interesting because the one thing that's up in the air is whether or not we see Super Mega Fest mm. that weekend. The same weekend, it's whether or not we can make it all work out together. We'll figure it out. We will, yes, sir. We will uh, reconvene in a couple of weeks with Catching Fire. That's it for Thor. Leave us some leave us some uh, ratings, some reviews, on, something uh, yes, on iTunes or something. Get us the Velvet Head. Get your ass onto iTunes and leave us a review. But it better be five stars. Well, if it's not because I've stars, now seen freaking Roadhouse, so Roadhouse, and, and I I get Roadhouse, and I, I I guess that's not what you see. You accept Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Late. <laughs>